everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin, or as they say in Canada, bonjour. I'm not sure if anyone else uses that word, but in Canada, we also say bonjour. Hi, I'm Ian Boothby. I'm David Didrick. And if you're listening for the very first time, oh, firstly, let me tell you what book we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Black Island, or in French, it's called... L'Ile Noire. Right, and David is going from the French version of the book. I am going from the English version of the book. What's the concept behind this show, say you, if you don't know what it is? Well, let me just explain it as quickly as possible, because it's getting old to us. Uh, <laughs> yes. I am a new reader to Tintin. I, I am a professional comic book writer, yet I have never really read Tintin. Uh, and so I'm reading these for the very first time. My friend David, on the other hand... I'm shaking my head in disgust. I'm a longtime reader of, of uh, Tintin. Love, I love uh, Tintin. I love the stories and I love the art. Right. The art is the real seller for me. So we're going through uh, every volume of Tintin mm-hmm. uh, from the new perspective, from the uh, old perspective. Dave is very old. Um, and, uh, and, and just kind of breaking down. But Dave also is bringing some context uh, and history uh, to the mix. Yeah. And uh, I'm bringing none of that. So I'm really letting down my end of the deal. <laughs> I'm kind of the snowy in this. Once in a while, I'll do something worthwhile. But for the most part, it's kind of Dave's the Tintin of the two of us, I would say. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And also, people, when they first meet you, want to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always getting clunked on the head. Always going, yeah, and then thrown into prison, (laughs) which is very easily to break out of. Also, if you're wondering why all the sirens are going by, uh, we do this show in the middle of a road. Basically. Yeah. We're uh, out, like outdoorsy folk. We see Tintin is spending a lot of time outdoors. We decide, why not do the show out of doors? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, the only out of doors here in Vancouver where we're recording are in the middle of the road. So <laughs> apologies for the sirens you will hear throughout the show. Uh, but let's start off with uh, some, as I said, some history. Uh, where are we at right now, or where is Hergé at in his career, David? Well, I, I would say like this. the next couple books were kind of like almost in a holding pattern. You know, it's kind of like to sort of all, all what is it full steam ahead? Just you know, he's just kind of uh, doing these stories, working away at it, plugging away. He's, uh, you know, by the time he finished the Black Island, he was thirty-one years old, so he's already kind of established himself in a profession. Mm-hmm. You know, he was kind of resentful. The profession he had kind of ended up in as a cartoonist wasn't what he intended to do, really, because it wasn't a profession when he started to do Tintin. But now he was a cartoonist, he was an illustrator, and he was kind of resentful because in Belgium of that time, it was basically a second-class position, you know, occupation. You were kind of looked down on by people. You weren't an artist, Mm -hmm. you weren't a sculptor, you weren't a painter, so you didn't meet that criteria. You weren't a writer, you weren't, you know, a novelist or a dramatist. And so you've kind of fell between all these stools and you kind of ended up in this sort of nowhere land. Well, I don't, this is what I don't understand because the history that you've laid out in the past doesn't seem to uh, line up with this. You know, he created a character that was so popular that when his stories ended, mm-hmm. uh, people would gather and it would be an event where a, li- a live actor would portray Tintin yeah. and, a, and, a, and a large crowd sure. would gather around and cheer. Sure. Uh, and it was so popular that would happen multiple times. So when you're yeah. going, he's getting nothing. I mean, but mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see a sculptor get that kind of, you know, the sculptor comes out with his uh, sculpture and everyone gives him a big cheer or the writer comes out with his book and everyone goes nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, it seems like he's getting publicity and he's getting feedback i don't see where this well what am i going to do i'm in the middle of nowhere no one well that's true but you know there, there it's you know it's hard for us to from our perspective where you know occupations and you know i wouldn't say we live in a classless classless society but we do live in a society that's fairly you know the equality is we try to 
you know, we try to have equality between each other. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case in, in, in Europe of that time. You know, there were classes. They were very, very hard and very, ste- you know, very, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very, there was a lot of striations in that, in that time. Like you couldn't right. easily move from middle class, from a sort of middle class to a, to, to a different sort of, let's say from lower class to middle class to go from, you know, to the bourgeoisie or whatever, how you want to call it, you know, like those kind of, that culture was very different. And so, well, you know, the- when you're talking about someone like having, you know, all these people come out to see him, well, for one thing, a lot of them are kids. Most of them are kids. Right. You know, so how were children's entertainers viewed in the past? Not as good as as someone who is an entertainment for quote unquote adults. I understand. You know, it, so there's all kinds of different. It, al- it almost sounds like you're doing, uh, you know, how much is the American dollar worth versus the Canadian dollar. But eventually you've got to add, like, if you're a famous children's entertainer, mm-hmm. which he was, I, I suppose you put it that sure. way. Sure. Yes, you do one success, one one uh, successful run. Mm-hmm. Oh well, there you go. Uh, two successful runs. Oh, quite good. But yeah. by the time you get to to where we are now, there's continued success. There's a continued level of fame. I'm sure adults are reading this as well, even if they don't say they are. They are reading the paper. Yeah, they're looking at this stuff. I mean, that's got to add up at a certain point. I mean, his name at a certain must point, be but not somewhat not, known. It's not known outside of. A very narrow French-speaking part of of Europe, though it's not. Okay, not, that's true. He's not famous in Germany. He's not famous right. in England. That's true. But in Belgium, where he lives, yeah. he must have had a name by this point. Sure, but it wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, you know, I think he didn't get the respect that he felt he deserved. Now that could be different now, than what you're this, thinking it, of. Right? Is this a similar thing? Like, say, someone who. All right, that's a weird comparison. But someone who uh, gained fame in a boy band or something and is going, oh, I don't want to be known for being in a boy band. I want to be a proper musician and no one's sure. respecting me. Yeah. Yet people are coming out to the boy band concerts and he's got tons of screaming girls and well, all that. But like, that's is he it. just not happy with the fame he has? Because the way you're describing it is, yeah, he's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it doesn't sound like well, it. It sounds like he's firmly somewhere I mean, and doing very well I, if he had just accepted that he was doing very well. When, I mean, one of the, th- one of the funny things about not using your real name is how few people will know you for who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, so Hergé is different from Georges Remy. You know, so Georges Remy could go everywhere and, not, and no one would know who he was. And you is know, that he, a bad thing? You don't go thing. around and wear a shirt that says, hi, I'm Hergé. So right, but you bring you could bring that out when you want to. I mean, it hmm. seems like the best of both worlds. It seems like you've got the fame when you want, and all of a sudden, yeah. uh, you filled up the town square it's with a, screaming people. It's a particular kind of fame, though. I mean, it'd be like talking about how famous Jack Kirby was when he was doing Fantastic Four, or how famous Steve Ditko was when they're doing Spider Man. How famous were they? Not famous at all, because I could talk to my mom and dad who grew up in that time period, who were aware, culturally aware of that time period, and they would have no idea who those people were. Well, let me flip... They were doing gr- great work. They right. were very popular within a very narrow band of interest for people, uh-huh. you know, mostly to children and some adults, but mostly to kids. And there's a ton of people from that time period who have no idea who they are. I, I see, again, with that comparison, I mean, the comparison isn't Kirby and Ditko. The comparison, because this is also a writer with Hergé, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the comparison would be Stan Lee, who decided to be the front man for that. And he was selling out colleges. You know, he would go and he would talk at a college My, and, and and it would be packed. And again, it's teenagers yeah. and young and young That's people. That's right. That's the thing. And like adults did not pay attention to that. You know, like, I know it's hard to believe. No, it's not hard to believe. But it's, it's just that's it's, a it's hard to sympathize. It's hard. It's a different time. Like this seems. This you know, seems to be same, like. What's the problem? It's to the me? same weirdness that makes them. T- you know, makes them take uh, thirty years or more to translate the, the Blue Lotus into English. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have you have the cigars of the Pharaoh available in the fifties for people to read right. in English, or no, seventy three. Sorry, seventy three. Okay. 
but you never bother to translate the book that came out immediately after that's sort of the continuation of it for another 10 years right like it just it seems weird and dumb Mm-hmm. But and is it is it is it dumb? Yes. Yeah. But that's I mean, right. let's just, agree that. But what let's I'm saying that is, it was, let's agree that it was wrong. Yeah, but that's, like it, it's just pers- but it's perception. Whatever but the perception is incorrect. Yeah, but we we're just talking about facts, not about what we wish was true. No, so. no, no. The facts are he was very popular. The facts are that when the books came out, they yeah. were popular. Yeah, he sold about forty thousand books. Okay. And then over time, as we've progressed through history, it's, I'm sure it's become one of the most, one of the best-selling books ever to come out of Belgium. It must be. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, or we, series. I mean, yes, he had, he had lots of fame and lots of respect later in his life. At this right. point in his life, no, he didn't. So, like later, when okay. we're talking in the 50s and 60s, 70s, well, and et cetera. Well, when you're saying fame and respect, I'd say I could, I could buy respect. Because culturally, I could see how you're doing a kid's book. Once again, if you remember the Backstreet Boys, maybe you don't get a lot of respect. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like he did have fame if he wanted the Well, wanted I the shouldn't fame. say fame. I would say he didn't, was not getting what he felt was his due or the respect that he felt yeah, was res- due to Yeah, all right, him. respect I'll give you. Okay. As an artist, you know. Okay, we've said a lot of If only I'd use the right word. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> if I'd used the right word, we would have saved 15 minutes. But... Uh, this is this to give you a sense of his of his mindset is, is what I would right. be saying. You know, his mindset kind of, isn't reality. It's kind of well, that's that's true enough. Uh, it's the interesting thing about Hergé was you know he was a very staunch Catholic at this time, and I would say he still was pr- fairly staunch as he as he grew older. But he kind of mixed it in with his interest in in uh, you know sort of Chinese philosophy like Zen Buddhism and stuff like that. But at this time, very staunch Catholic, but also a really big fan of astrology. And he was a Gemini, and so... Um, I'm a Gemini too, so watch what you say right now. Well, we all know that jerk starts with J. No, I'm just joking. But it's the twin sign, right? The sign of the twins. And he, and he really kind of played that up, this idea that he couldn't make a decision, that, you know, he wanted this and he wanted that, okay. and he kind of took the middle way. And if you look at, you know, his life, uh, you know, working for Le Petit... Or working for Le Vantium Siacle, you know, very staunchly conservative, you know, ultra-Catholic newspaper of, with particular views, some of them very very obnoxious, you know, their, their views of, of Jews was terrible, you know, and that was not just endemic to that paper, but to a lot of European culture at that mm-hmm. time. But, you know, he kind of, even if he had no particular dislike of Jews, he, you know, rubbed shoulders with people who had terrible views of them. Mm-hmm. And he really respected uh, Father Wale, who was... You know, was was the kind of the, the, you know, the living embodiment of this sort of that kind of point of view of this conservative Catholic anti Freemason, anti Jew, or you know, anti whatever you want to call it, right. Zionist conspiracy, those sort of ideas. Did any anti Semitism slip into the works of uh, the Tintin stories? I would say that he did. I would say it would be kind of the same as how he portrayed black people. Or how you portrayed Native Americans. Okay, because I haven't seen it so far. We haven't seen it so far because a lot of it was edited out in later editions. Okay. Because, you know, there's a certain point in European cult, in history, where what you said about Jews at one time seems a lot different after World War II, right? So, you know, things that would kind of be mildly funny to make fun of a particular group of people to have fun with the stereotypes or whatever that we just use in cartoons, you know, which seems sort of harmless in the 30s can seem very sinister Obviously, and insidious yeah. in the for- yeah. in the late 40s you know so so you know i don't want to condemn him for those things because even he said you know if i had known what 
the final solution was if I had known what was coming, I would never have done those those you know drawings. But he didn't, or he did, and he pretended he didn't, you know, because he didn't want to know, right. and that was a big part of his personality. He was a kind of person who didn't want to know, so he could be rubbing shoulders with a Leon de Grel, who was a fascist in every sense of the word. He could be doing posters for him for the Rex party, and not feel like I'm a fascist. You know, I'm just doing a job, and you know, I don't really know what they believe in. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of closing your eyes but keeping your eyes open kind of thing it's kind of hard to you know he's an interesting person there's a lot of facets to his personality one thing is an ego i think that needed feeding and a sense of insecurity particularly economic insecurity you know which is why he couldn't say no to a job because he felt like i've got to work if i'm not working or if i'm not doing tintin then we're going backwards yeah you know it's funny though when you're saying uh you know he couldn't say no to a job and yet he's got a character who never says yes to a job like who uh, who in in these last bunch yeah. of volumes is always being offered work and uh he gets mad well it's not that he's being and offered turns work. it down like violently sometimes he's, throws you right out the door it's not that he's offered work. i mean what we're talking about being offered work he's already working he's a reporter for le petit Vantiem. right so that's his job understood so he's not he's not a person who is corrupt who can be bought mm-hmm. that's what it's not that he doesn't want a job he throws uh he throws uh, Mitsuharatu out of the jail cell because he tries to bribe Tintin. Right. It's not he offers him a job. He's but trying to bribe a lot, him. There's to, a lot of people that offer Tintin money, lots of money to yeah. do work. And he's like, no, yeah. none of that I'm already me. working. Yeah, I've get out of here. I have a contract with Le Petit Vantiem and I, can't, I cannot backslide on that contract, which is probably exactly how Hergé felt, mm. which is why they could continually keep him working for the magazine even though he wanted to leave. You know, and at this point, you know, Father Willet was gone and he was done with Le Petit Vantiam. He was just, he was all the time trying to find a way out of it, but they just were like, you gotta stay. Because if you go, which was true, if he went, that would be the end of yeah. that that thing. Even though he wasn't very important. And, uh, even though he big, wasn't very important. Exactly. I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But you're like, for this magazine anyway. <laughs> so, so now we're in 1937. April 15th is when it started being published in Le Petit Vantiam. So it went from April 15th, 37 to June 16th, 1938. And uh, then in 38, Casterman published, as usual, they published a black and white version of it. What's interesting about the Black Island, though, is there's three different versions of it. And we're reading the third. Mm. So there was a black and white version, which was 124 pages. Then in 1943, uh, Hergé transformed it into a, the 62-page version that we know. Was that cutting a lot of material or just the no, formatting? No, it's just reformatting because okay. what's interesting, I've said it a few times, what I find interesting about the change in the grid, like they made the pages a bit wider, a little smaller panels, and then they gave it a four-tier grid, uh, is that he could basically fit a page, uh, a Petit Vantiem page, on, into one half of a 62 uh, page. And often, some things he cut out just because of space, that's true, but often it was just repeating things or, or kind of time time wasters that he right. might put into the story in order to because he couldn't think of anything to do so you have a little bit of business or something that kind of repeats something that's already occurred or you know like for instance in cigars of the pharaoh there's the sequence where he goes down into the tunnel under the maharishi's palace they say maharishi maharaja's palace there you go yeah yeah and uh this is before the beatles <laughs> goes into the maharaja's uh, palace and in the black and white version he goes into this room and there's this there's this uh, statue of of Kali, I guess, and it moves in some way and all these cobras come out of it mm-hmm. and start heading towards Tintin, and he 
and he throws a chocolate bar down, and they all go for the chocolate bar because cobras well known lovers of chocolate. Oh, of course they are. And they all start That's why they, the Coca Cobras. <laughs> they start gorging on this uh, on this chocolate, and then you know get themselves all tangled up or whatever. And then in the same sequence, he like almost. It's really strange because it's almost like off the cuff. He almost falls down into a crocodile pit. But basically, he misses. it opens and he doesn't fall into it. And he just looks down and sees some crocodiles. And you're like, why is that <laughs> there? And this whole sequence, I mean, when he went to do the, the color version, he probably read this and went, well, I've just added this stuff, but it, has, it doesn't move the story forward. Yeah. It's not that exciting. Yeah. You know, it's kind of an easy cop out, just throwing a chocolate bar on the ground and the cobra start eating it. Well, where's the where's the peril? Also, bad advice for kids if you run into a cobra. And the really interesting part of it is the secret society that he's going to. So why are you putting in these roadblocks to what is the actual interesting part of the sequence? Him disguised in the room, and then a traitor being in the room. That's a really interesting part of that sequence. So you have the fake climax of the cobras, you know, kind of breaking up this the actual you know this actual really tension filled part of the story with him in the, in the room. So when he was doing the color adaptions he did do take some of those things out to make some room but often he would add in panels and stuff as well to you know to make the story flow better and things and uh so yeah that was in 43 and so that that stood for quite a while then in the in the early 60s um methuen his publishers in england were decided they were going to translate it and um you know they looked at it and they said well this is not england this is like brussels uh, or Belgium, that someone has pretended is England. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many mistakes in this that it's, not, you know, like so many errors in how people look, dress, what side of the road they're driving on, how the trains look, everything. So what we want you to do is redraw it and just make some corrections to it. And Erste was like, okay, well, you know, take, you know, you have the book there. Just look at it and tell me what I need to fix. And so Methuen sent back 131 corrections that needed to be done to the story. And uh, Erste I guess he looked at that and went, I guess we'll have to redraw it. But he was actually working on uh, Flight 714 at that point. Okay. And so he was busy with that. So basically what he he did was he had his, he had this studios at this time. We haven't really talked very much about the studios because I, I kind of want to do things chronologically. And we're really jumping ahead here. We're jumping from 43 to, yeah, to 63. Yeah, that is a few uh, yeah, books yeah. ahead. Okay. And so at this point, he, he had, a, this, he had a, you know, a studio, he had assistants that were helping him, the colorists and inkers and and people who would do in background specialists and people like that. And so uh, one of his assistants, Bob DeMoor, who's kind of his right-hand man after after Edgar uh, Jacobs left, um, he sent Bob DeMoor over to England to, to do some research. So DeMoor went over there and he looked, uh, he went to like, the White Cliffs of Dover. He went to Rudyard Kipling's house, Bateman's. And oh, that, cool. that was actually the model for Mueller's, uh, Dr. Mueller's house in the book. Okay. And then uh, they, he went to like the Scotland Yard and looked at uniforms there. Went to British Rail and tried to look at uniforms, but they didn't. They was wondering, who's this strange? Probably thought he was a Frenchman or you know who's this strange man who's come to? Yeah, no, go away. <laughs> so he couldn't look at the, those. But you know he went and took pictures of like how British people dressed and what the roads were like and you know different. And then they kind of modernized it too. Like in the original one, the fire the firemen have a hand pulled cart, so the firemen are running pulling up uh, this hand cart. Like the this you know water pump on a wagon, and so in the newer one, of course, they're in a fire engine, and and then um, just little things like that. So some of the corrections that Methuen wanted there, so replace all the signs in the rail stations with a standardized British rail sign, mm-hmm. replace the Ford console with a taxi sign on it with an actual London cap, although it doesn't actually make sense because they're not in London, but okay. Mm. 
modernize the clothes of the driver. It's so many picky things. You're yeah, like, who is, is doing fussy, this? Yeah. Put the cars on the correct side of the road. That makes sense. Lower the heights of the trees by the sea. You couldn't just flip the image, eh? With those cars on the side of the road? Like... No, it wouldn't make sense. Because then you'd have all the action going in the wrong direction. All right. Change the edge of the sidewalks to white stone. Give gates in the fields five planks. Blacken the brown shoes of the policeman. Mm-hmm. Replace his uniform with that of the Sussex Constabulary, not London. Rework the clothing of a gamekeeper. Have more of the fields planted with crops so many fellow fields was boring. Update a telephone. Redo the fireman's uniforms, fire truck, and, assist- and system of alarms. Redraw the architecture of a house with wooden beams. Fix the collar and doctor's uniform. Replace old currency with more modern ones. Draw a camper and truck that follows the rules of roadside safety. Replace a steam locomotive with a more modern diesel one. Review the size of the corridors and trains. Remember that tracks are electrified. Change the brand of whiskey. Uh, reclothe the train conductor and engineer. Make one of the planes a tiger moth. Keep in mind that the Scots don't like the color green and dress them accordingly. Update the TV, but keep it black and white. Don't have the Scottish police wearing helmets. The police should be using revolvers, not revolvers, not automatics. Change the title of the paper to the Daily Reporter, and on and on and on. That's just a few of the suggestions. Okay, let me just say that fallow fields thing is nonsense. <laughs> You're going like fallow fields are boring. Well, I don't care. Yeah, that's nothing to it's do just with in the nothing. Background. Yeah, that's <laughs> in the, one. It's in the background. Two, this isn't uh, uh, you know something that isn't there. There are fallow fields. Everyone's got a fallow field. Yeah. that's fine. Yeah, it depends what time of the season your the story is placed in as well. I know. Also, like in the last comic, we uh, not the last comic, I guess uh, maybe Blue Lotus. I'm trying to remember which one, but it was the like Broken Year. Yeah, where it was all uh, 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 no backgrounds for like uh, mm-hmm. two pages, no yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. And so now fallow fields are an issue. <laughs> you're lucky you're getting a field at all, Jack. <laughs> yes. Boy, that is that is way too fussy. So um, yeah, so Demora went there, and and then they so it ended up basically what happened then was. Uh, it was really a collaborative effort. Usually, Hergé did a kind of the the mo- a lot of the work, and then the stu- the studio guys, you know, did the inking and some of the backgrounds. In this case, they did almost they did basically all the backgrounds. Uh-huh. All Hergé did was just the figures. So he did like Tintin and the other main characters, and all the other stuff was was done by the various like Bob Demour, Jacques, Jacques Martin, and uh, a guy named uh, uh, Roger Lelouch. His name was. And his job was to draw cars and planes and trains. Okay. That was his job. So Sounds like a fun job if you like that kind of thing. Sure, sure does. And so he worked for quite a while with Studio Hergé, and then he he left in 69 to start Yoko Tsuno, his own, uh, his own comic strip. But, uh, Did his own comic strip have a lot of planes and trains? It, had a, it was a science fiction one, a mm-hmm. science fiction. Uh, and so it had a lot of spaceships and flying things and, and a lot of... And it's a lot different in look than... I'm going to say, uh, as someone who uh, I'm married to an artist who had to draw a lot of specific mm-hmm. uh, uh, planes and trains and yeah. guns and, yeah. and what have you. And when she was done, the, she wanted to do a sci-fi book yeah. because she could just do make ups Yeah. So I understand that completely. I Maybe that's it. where he was coming from. But I think he likes drawing machinery as well. Yeah, so but just... after a while, it's fun not to have to look at all the reference mm-hmm. and just go, yeah, it's got six wings on it. Not that's good. that's yeah. probably true because, yeah, he would have been drawing. We'll talk about it when we're, when we're going through the book. So now the book itself, uh, the plot came from a few different sources. So as usual, La Crapouille, no, sorry, La Crapouille, the mortar shell. Yeah. This sort of... Don't uh, get that word wrong. There's a lot of wrong ways to go on that word. <laughs> Which is something, that magazine was something that uh, they didn't, didn't really have in, in, in like sort of West, like in English speaking countries. Don't really have those kind of magazines. It would have been like kind of an early version of Charlie Hebdo. There was a French magazine called Le Canard Enchaîné, mm-hmm. the Duck Unchained, 
or the Unchained Duck, whatever that means. But the okay. canard also means the newspapers. It was yes. a slang for newspapers. So it had sort of double meaning. And uh, and then same with the, the mortar shell, let's call it. Uh, they're both kind of satirical uh, magazines that, you know, kind of poked holes in the, you know, politicians and, and but also were investigative. So kind of like Private Eye became like in the 60s okay. in England. And so, you know, you have a mix of fun and you also have serious journalism. And so... Uh, in one of the issues, there is a story about this uh, Scottish forger uh, whose name was... Uh, well, now I wish I could find it because then it would be very helpful. You know, he's a forger. It would be okay to just make something Yeah, up. that's right. That sounds fair. Uh, his name was George Bell. Okay. And he was his forger. And he was, and, and that name mm-hmm. didn't come to you. It well, didn't ring a... No. Oh, it didn't. It's not at all. Strange. He was a Nazi sympathizer. Boo! And I, so I think that's why he becomes uh, Dr. Muller. So he becomes a German doctor mm. in the story. Okay. But uh, so because at that time, um, this it, just at this time period, because of airplanes, because of you know ch- change, improvement in communications and, and and printing technology, counterfeit the counterfeit business was booming. Like it was very lucrative because it was easy to move big amounts of money around. It was still dangerous and hard to do, but it was easier than it was before. You know, just in terms of, of you know, distributing your product and getting it farther away. You know, if you're a forger and the only thing you have to distribute your your fake notes is horseback, you have a limited amount of area where you can go and exchange your notes for real notes. Right. And eventually you kind of overwhelm the area that you're in until everyone knows no one you know, everyone knows that yeah. your paper money is no good, right? So that's the hardest part of being a forger is how you take your fake money and move it into the real money. Because you have to take, you know, if you make $100,000 of fake money, now you have to somehow insert that $100,000 into the local economy and not draw attention to yourself. Well, how do you do that? It's easier if you have a plane and you can take $100,000 and separate it into $5,000 amounts and go to 20 different places. I don't know if that worked out as math. But anyway, (laughs) go to different places and distribute it that way. Right. Yeah. Then you. We don't need math. We're a visual arts podcast. That's right. <laughs> then you know. So then you, you know, you understand what I'm saying. I right? totally so, understand. Yeah. So it was kind of on the rise, and so Erge kind of tapped into that in the story. Yeah. The British part of it, well, I think, comes from two parts. One is that Erge and most Belg- most Belgians love England. Uh, they're very they're very closely connected for a long time. One because England supported. Uh, Belgian independence in 1831. They're one of the countries that fought for their independence. Not literally fought, but yeah. but you know argued was for side, and was on yeah. side with. And uh, and also they they liberated Belgium during World War One. So it was the the British soldiers who came in and and just as we have nowadays with Canadian soldiers being popular in, in Holland because of the mm-hmm. liberation of Holland by Canadian soldiers. Same thing in Belgium. And same same thing in World War Two was the British who came in and again and booted the Germans out. And so there's a feeling of affection for uh, for British people. It's kind of like uh, Peyo, who drew um, Johann Pierre Louis and the Smurfs. He um, his last name was is Culliford, C U L L I F O R D, which doesn't sound French at all, because his parent, his great grandparent was British and came to Belgium and started a commercial firm there, and then the family kind of became French or became Belgium, and so he became Pierre Culliford. So it's just kind of this weird British, you know, French yeah, British. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that's and the reason he was called Peyo was because he had an English cousin who couldn't pronounce his name, and he couldn't say Pierre. He said Peyo, and so that was the name he took when he oh, started cute. Uh, becoming a cartoonist. Anyway, we're not, this is not the Peyo show yet. <laughs> um, and so the other thing 
And now the other obvious, I think obvious uh, uh, source for this story was Alfred Hitchcock's film, The 39 Steps, and John uh, Buchan's novel that it was based on. Because um, Hergé uses elements of both the novel and the movie that aren't, you know, the elements of the novel that are in the film are kind of used in this book as well. Okay. Most notably airplanes. There's a lot of airplanes in this book. And there are a lot of airplanes in Buchan's novel because there was new technology in 1915 when he wrote the book. And so he wanted to incorporate this sort of exciting new thing into a story. And then also all the alarms and tripwires and stuff like that what came out of the, aren't in the Hitchcock version, but are quite pr- prominent in 39 Steps. And so, do you know, have you seen the film 39 Steps? Yes. So, you know, I've like, also seen the play. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a chase across England as a, you know, so this guy is trying to catch these yeah, villains. Very exciting. But the police are trying to catch him and it goes from, you know, and he's trying to hide and it goes up into the highlands. Very similar mm-hmm. in terms of terrain and stuff like that. Uh, not exactly in terms of story, but similar. And then and the other thing that at that time, so we're talking 1937 when he started the story. So 1933, King Kong came out. I was going to ask huge, about that. You know, a huge hit worldwide. Because, yeah, a character does arrive later on in the mm-hmm. book that you go, what? Yeah. Like, you, you do not yeah. expect that. If you if you don't see that coming, you do not see that coming. Yeah. yeah. And then the other interesting thing is uh, Tintin mentioning the Loch Ness Monster, mm-hmm. which was fairly unregarded until 1933. 1933 is when it became kind of a, a sensational story. Right. And people knew about it. Up to that point, it was basically a kind of a local legend that had no had no real uh, no real outside interest. What sparked it? What uh, there was brought a, it to fame? There was a, a sighting in 1933, and a guy wrote about it in the local paper. Is that that famous photo? No, that came later. The doctor's photo? That's yeah. kind of... That came a little the bit after. photo, yeah. Yeah, that's a famous photo. But uh, no, this came a little bit before that. This person saw uh, some sort of serpent and, dra- and or dragon crossing the street and going into the lake, okay. carrying something in its mouth. Okay. And so it wasn't just a sighting in the water, which is easy to explain by the way the waves roll and stuff that gives that serpentine effect that looks like something is, you know, moving up and down right. in the water. You can see that at any lake if, if the tide's right or if the current's correct. But uh, no, this is the guy I actually saw something walking across the street. So uh, a local journalist wrote about it in the paper and somehow I got picked up by bigger papers and then it would screw into this big story. Yeah. And from then on. It was a huge story. It's weird because, of course, I've heard about it since I was a kid, but I've <laughs> never heard of it getting out and walking around. Yeah. Like I've never, yeah, at all. Oh, that's interesting. Here's the other thing. If you believe in the Loch Ness Monster, whether you do or not, it's yeah. long since dead. This is the 20s. It's dead. It depends how long it lives. Because mm, sturgeon, gonna... sturgeon, which are, you know, a fish, they can live for over 100 years. That so. sounds good. Uh, so it's been about 90 years now. Yeah. So it's dead. <laughs> So don't worry about you it. You don't know that. Go for a swim. You Everything's don't fine. Don't don't destroy the economy of Bewley. Okay. And other local areas around. And if it's Loch not Ness. dead, it's old. Leave it alone. It's an old old uh, man or woman. Uh, let it uh, let it just swim in peace, please. Um, the other thing that was timely was the use of television, mm. which when the book was redrawn in sixty three in sixty three and, and reissued in sixty five, I believe, uh, it was uh, not that exciting. But when he drew the story in 1937, television, although it was in, you know kind of invented in 23, right. it took a while for it to get a people to get interested in it. And but by 36, BBC was broadcasting 12 hours a day of television and had their own studios. So you know that would have been uh, something else that would be kind of people would be kind of like, oh, television, you know, something. ah, kind of like later. I think in uh, Castafiore Emerald, Calculus is experimenting with color television to hilarious effect. And uh, so that's also kind of timely 
for that period as well. You know, so you know, we read it now. We go, how quaint! But at the time, you would have been like, oh, that's a cool yeah. idea. Much like again, uh, we we compare uh, maybe too often to James Bond, but Quit James it. Bond every James Bond movie starts with what's popular now parkour. It's in. That's right. What's popular now space. That's what we're doing. Yeah. You know whatever is the thing of the day right. is the thing of the day that you put into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, Hergé wasn't. I wouldn't say he was looking for sensational things to try to publicize what he was doing, but I think, you know, if you're writing for kids, what do kids like? They like yeah. things that are new and interesting. So that's what you're looking for is new things that will catch the attention yeah, of something of something like the forgery you know I, I would assume if you're a kid you don't really care about the forgery no. but it, it moves the plot along so it's, you, just, it's a MacGuffin. you want yeah, yeah you want Tintin to be running and chasing yeah. and shooting and guns and and you want to see uh, cars and planes and it gets you there and okay. if at the end of it you go what was this all about I don't know forgery uh, maybe who cares Tintin's just having adventures and Snowy's helping him and that's all uh, that's all that matters the other last little interesting bit of history I just want to say before we sure, move sure. on to the actual story is uh, so in uh, 1938, just near the end of, of the run, of, the original run of, of the Black Island, uh, the uh, it was a fir- uh, so it would have been in April 1938. Spiru magazine was published. So Dupuis, father and son, a publishing company in Belgium, decided, hey, this looks like a good market. There's not very many books. There was Mickey, Le Journal Mickey, from France, Curveillon uh, for boys, Aim Vaillant for girls. Uh, Le Petit Vantiem, there wasn't like a huge amount of, of European comics being published. And the ones that were publishing uh, material, a lot of it was they were bringing American comics and republishing. So they'd have like Flash Gordon or Mandrake the Magician and stuff like that. And so and one thing that started happening that time, because comics were becoming more popular, well, what happens when things become popular, then people become interested in it. So government was starting to <laughs> interfere. And so you had American comics banned in Italy, uh, except for Walt Disney comics, because yeah. uh, uh, Bussolini's kids like Mickey Mouse. And you had... And you don't mess with Big Goofy. You do not yeah. mess with it. And it wasn't, just, it wasn't just conservatives. It was also like communists as well, because to them, communists, uh, it represented this kind of... Uh, you know, imperialism, this sort of cultural imperialism, Mickey Mouse coming and, you know, and American comics dominating European European magazines. Sure, okay. And so Spirus started and it drew heavily from local local artists. So, you know, that was a real, um, you know, this is before Le, uh, Le Journal Tintin or Tintin. So before that magazine started and Spirus started before that one. And, and so they were drawing from that talent. Of that time, so you had people like Joseph Gillin, who became uh, Giget, and Andre Franquin, and Morris, Lucky Luke, yep. and Peo later on, Jean Robat, all these great artists all started. You know, it was just one of those kind of, and I think because of, and I think this was because of, because of Hergé, because you create something, and it's kind of like Steve Nash, the basketball player here in Canada. Before Steve Nash, there's very little interest in basketball in Canada. You know, after Steve Nash, we suddenly have tons of Canadians who are being drafted into the NBA. You know, I shouldn't say tons, but relatively a yeah, lot of, of... It's increased, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of players who have the, the NBA is interested in playing in co- colleges and stuff like that. And so, and same thing, you know, Erge started, he was doing this pioneering thing and other local artists, you know, saw the potential in that and became very interested in it. And they started working in it. And so you had this this real moment of, you know, just that kind of, the unrepeatable moment of all this talent that came together, uh, all these super talented people. I mean, even working together. Yeah. You know, like Gigi had his had his own studio, and he had, you know, and it, it was in his house, and so we'd have them living with him. So people like uh, Will and Morris and 
Peyo and all these guys, Frank Hanna, you know, were all together, working together, and just created this real, you know, sort of supernova of talent, you know. But the spark was was Hergé, because if Hergé hadn't been doing it, I don't think we would have seen Spirou or or the uh, that explosion of super great cartoonists. That's amazing. Cool. Very amazing. And that is our history. Yes. And that brings us now so to... So now to the uh, main question. What did you think of the Black Island? Well, it brings us to something before we get to oh. the what do I think, which is just letting people know what type of podcast this is, okay. which is a spoiler podcast. That's We're true. now going to be going page by page through the book. So if you haven't read it yet and you don't want anything spoiled, now's a good time to stop what you're listening to, pick up the book, read it, and then uh, come back and follow along. If you like spoilers... Enjoy the spoilers. Yeah. Okay. As for what I think of the book, this one is, uh, I really enjoy this one. Uh, this moves at a, uh, it moves at such a great pace. Oh, yeah. It's uh, really well paced. It's very well drawn. Beautiful yeah. landscapes, real nice sense of place when you're in buildings. It's, yeah. it's great. And it feels like Snowy's agent got on the phone and went, Snowy needs to do more stuff. <laughs> I want Snowy to have a lot of rescue scenes where Snowy is the hero. Yeah. I want Snowy to have some good comedy business. Yeah. I want Snowy all through this thing. And I don't want Snowy to memorize a lot of lines. So let's not have Snowy talk a lot <laughs> through this one. So Snowy be- Well, Snowy we've become- seen Snowy slowly becoming more and more of a dog. Yeah. And less and less of a, of a character. Yeah. You know, kind of a sidekick. He's not the guy who's going, oh, the rain. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. People nowadays, am I right? Yeah. And this one, he is a dog and has a lot of good physical business to do. This might be my favorite Tintin story. All right. I can, well. Partly because I love England and Scotland. It's my favorite so far. I'll give it that. Yeah. Yeah. Partly because I love England and Scotland so much. And legit. And it's so evocative of of those places. Yeah. There's a, there's a Tintin in danger scene that we'll get to later on that says like, oh, that's a really good Tintin in danger scene. I I like that a lot. (laughs) And again, there's a monster that shows up later on that you're like, whoa, what's that about? Yeah. Nice. And good uh, Thompson and Thompson. Yeah, lots of fun well. with them, yeah. They, they really kind of come into their own in, in this story. To be fair to Hergé, we were talking about uh, the fact that it was redrawn by by him and the studio uh, assistants. The plot is basically the same. He did not change the pacing and, and how he plotted okay. it and stuff. So there are some kind of weird anachronisms that happen because of the, the change. But I don't think it's terrible, but they're just kind of odd. Like, we'll get to those. We'll as, get to those as, as we go. go. Yeah. And yeah. and again, this is one of your favorite covers because you love how he draws. I love water. how he draws water so much. I mean, look at that. The ripples of the water just perfectly done. Like close to the boat, there's more of them. As you go farther and farther away, right. there's less. And then how he does the foam around the boat, so perfect. And and it's a nice and then action scene with uh, Tintin. He's like determined. Yeah. He's uh, leaning forward. We're not seeing Tintin's face, but we don't need to at this point. Mm-hmm. We just get Snowy looking back. Snowy sees us, and Snowy's worried. Yeah. Snowy's. Not yeah. sure about this. Uh, well, you know, we're, it's but a, we're going. We're going to that Black Island. The man. interesting thing about Snowy is Snowy is our window into Tintin. Snowy is always talking to us. He's not talking to Tintin. Mm. You know, so he really is our entry into the story. Like if you are, if you are focusing on a character, I, we've talked about a little bit about the lack of female characters in, in Tintin stories, which is you know not great, but because it was being done for a Catholic news, uh, Catholic newspaper, the idea of a, a boy and girl running around together. Unless they were brother and sister, it would have been terrible. Yeah. So you really couldn't have that. So what you have is is Snowy is your is your contact to Tintin, not Tintin. Yeah. You really don't identify with Tintin because he's not you, and he's not he's too perfect. Really. I don't know. Listen, I'm going to flip that on you. I, you know, whereas we talked in the past about you know how there aren't a lot of female characters, and that was a reason some people that I know were not able yeah. to get into it. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to disagree a little bit now with what I said before. Reading this one, I was thinking that Tintin isn't a guy who goes out uh, romancing girls. He no. doesn't care about girls. And yeah. maybe he does in later books, but I have not seen him at all. 
So, so what? He's t- a boy scout to the end. <laughs> he's a boy scout to the end, right? But he's kind of a blank slate, mm-hmm. and he's not necessarily doesn't have the most masculine features. No, you could, as a girl reading this, project yourself into Tintin as a character okay. and go along on that adventure. Yeah. Because there's nothing in there that stops you from doing that. There's nothing he he does yeah. that you go well. But only it, a, I mean, immediately at the time, only a boy would do that. But nowadays, if you're reading the story, you wouldn't think like, yeah. well, no, this is only a a boy related. There's nothing that yeah, and he's not a jerk to to girls or or he girls or anything like that so there's nothing that's off-putting about him right you could project yourself in a story where you and your dog are having this yeah. adventure and you really would not have any bumps along the way yeah. you would think like if you if you heard a plane crashing what would you do you'd go and you'd see what's yeah. up i think the biggest roadblock to someone enjoying tintin i think is is age i think if you mm-hmm. if you don't read it at the right time and i don't even mean being young i just mean it at the right time of your life right you know if you are in your 20s and you're a go-getter and you want to go get stuff you know, these kind of books probably aren't going to appeal to you. There is another. There is another uh, problem uh, in in that the I think the lettering is a little difficult for people sometimes because it's very different than North American uh, cartoon lettering, mm-hmm. which is all capitalized. But did you notice that he changed to to like if you read uh, the Land of the Soviets, it is all block letters, mm-hmm. and then he changed to uh, and Peo does it as well. Like uh, Johann and Pierre Louis was originally when he started doing it was it was block letters as well. Right. There was some theory in uh, European reading that it was easier for children to read uh, lowercase letters. And that, so that's why a lot of cartoon has changed. Right, but then they changed back recently. Uh, this, a, a common thing right now in comics is they've gone back to at least... Marvel was doing a thing with their Ultimate Comics line where they went back to lowercase letters because yeah. it was easier for children with dyslexia to read. Yeah. They could, they had a hard time reading the all-capital uh, letters. They flipped okay. too simply Sure, uh, where it was easier uh, with this. But I could see how someone reading this, the uh, the, the type is, is fairly small it's, as opposed to North American type. Yeah. I could see that be a little bit new. Yeah. And new is, new is difficult. Yeah. All right, but let's get to the actual uh, story. The page one looks like the shortest Tintin story in the world. It looks like Tintin... Such a brilliant start. Well, it, it looks like Tintin written for Mad Magazine, <laughs> yes. which is uh, Tintin's walking with Snowy, chasing a butterfly. It's mm-hmm. really it's really a sweet shot. Uh, here's a plane uh, coming down, goes yep. to investigate, uh, gets shot and killed. The end. <laughs> yeah. Well... Thanks for thanks for buying this uh, issue of Tintin, everybody. So now, as you we were saying, like that would have been the two pages in the first part of in the in the <laughs> yeah. So that would have been where it stopped. Yeah, Tintin that. just got shot point blank. Yeah. The end. All right. And uh, so, just just to start off with the geekiness. Sure. Uh, on this page, we see they wanted everything updated, so the original plane has now become uh, a Percival Prentice. That's the type of plane this is, and it's. And I guess now they have all this reference material. They could just sit down and and have like this, this sort of exact drawing of a plane. Whereas Hergé's his auto, his cars, and his planes, even though they were based in in research, always looked a little cartoony. Mm-hmm. When you get to this point, when people like Loop were, were doing it, it's you know very exact. Same yeah. with uh, Jacobs. Jacobs could not stand Hergé's cars. They had to be exactly like the car looked. You know? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that takes us next page, and we're in the uh, hospital. Uh, Tintin spends time in hospitals because mm-hmm. he does get attacked a little bit. Uh, it turns out the uh, bullet only grazed a rib. Lucky. He'll be out in a couple of days. Yeah. yeah like Tintin's going to wait a couple of days. <laughs> yes. You know what? You got to tell Tintin it's going to be a month. Then he'll take a week. You can't. You got to do that because this guy just hops right out of the bed. Um, so uh, Thompson and Thompson show up. Not an unusual uh, action hero yeah. cliche that the uh, 
not staying in the hospital. But. Yeah, you got a bullet an inch for your heart. All yeah. right, I'm on my way. Wait, you can't leave. <laughs> pull the pull the uh, hoses out of you and tubes, I should say. Right, hoses. So uh, uh, Thompson and Thompson, uh, for those, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but they're police officers, and Tintin has a bit of history uh, with this. The normal mm-hmm. history is Tintin gets accused of a crime he doesn't he hasn't committed. Thompson and Thompson, while they like. Uh, Tintin, they are a uh, letter of the law, fellas, mm-hmm. and they will pursue him if they think he is guilty. Yeah, but in the end, they always apologize, and <laughs> uh, he helps them usually solve a crime. Let's see if that happens now. What's interesting in the English version, uh, the phone is comes and Thompson answers it, and okay. he says, "He goes, oh, Interpol, is that not correct? Yeah, that's correct. In the French version, he says La Sûreté, which is the French police." So it's interesting. So the English version internationalizes them. That's how I've always thought of them. I thought of them as Interpol yeah. agents, not as they're everywhere. Exactly, not as French police officers who have an incredible expense account. And they will, and they yeah. will immediately go into disguise in whatever land. Mm-hmm. Now, pretty funny joke in here. We the difference between Thompson. And Thompson is the P. In this one, it says uh, he's on the phone going, "Yes, it's Thompson with a P," as in psychology. Yes, and they'll. They, that's a common. But what's interesting is, uh, he, yeah, it's. Um, Sorry, just looking because yeah, they don't do it in the French. They don't have that joke. So like that's a an English joke. Have we mentioned by the way again? I'm sure I'm sure we lightly said it, but let's just be clear. David is going off the French text. Mm-hmm. I am going off off the English text. Yeah. All right. And and, and let's go the ahead. Uh, the English translators, kind of like with Asterix as well, the translators there are much more much more likely to throw in jokes than Hergé was. Uh, I think because they're translating, they they want their translation to be interesting. Yeah. You know, whereas Hergé is not thinking just in terms of the words, he's thinking in terms of pictures and words together. Translators are only thinking about the words. Yeah. So for them, a million gags is better than... Uh, also, everyone wants yeah. their fingerprints on something. Yeah, I guess you go, so. That's mine. But I, to be fair to them, I don't. I wouldn't complain about the changes they made. I think that the, yeah. the kind of the business they give to Thompson and Thompson and the way they speak, to be precise, and now he's mixing things up so it becomes, the, you know, some sort of almost insult to themselves... Which uh, Hergé didn't do, but they, Michael Cooper and, and Leslie, or whatever, Leslie Lonsdale, whatever, the double-barreled names, uh, they uh, they are apt to um, to have a lot of fun with the words. So uh, Thompson Thompson uh, leave, you know, they're uh, they're called away. Uh, they're going back to England. Uh, an unregistered plane crashed last night uh, near a place called East Down in Sussex, and so they're off. Yeah. Uh, Tintin says, watch your step, because he knows those two are clumsy. Well, that doesn't sell, help anything. They uh, do some Chaplin-esque falls. Yes. Because they're dressed like Charlie Chaplin. Why not do a fall like Charlie Chaplin? One of the requests from Methuen was that they, that Hergé replace actual place names with, with, with made-up place names. So uh-huh. East Down is, was the choice, I okay. guess. Instead of... And then we come to the grossest gag I've seen so far. In uh, in a Tintin, and possibly I'm going to say in the series, yes, which is uh, Tintin's had enough of this. He's going to go investigate on his own. Him and Snowy leave. Uh, wave it's to th- not what you think, but okay. Oh, right, it's I not want... a bedpan. What is it? It's just a it's just a wash basin. Oh, it looks like a bedpan. It does not look like a bedpan. I mean, the way the water's coming out of it makes maybe makes it look like it, but a bedpan. Okay, well, why don't we explain what the joke is before okay. we do this? Uh, so Tintin and Snowy are leaving. The nurse is surprised that he's leaving so soon, and uh, she has a round. Listen, you all can can are probably have the book in front of you. Look yourself. She's got a round yeah. object yeah. that a nurse is carrying. Yeah. Uh, in a hospital. Sure. And uh, she is so surprised she drops the water that's in it onto Snowy. Yeah. Okay, you think it's a basin with water in it? Yeah, it's not a, it's not, it's not shaped like a bedpan. A you bedpan, can't, you can't see. A bedpan it. has that rim around it, and it's shaped more like a seat. 
like it's shaped more like an oval. This is like a this is like a a, a shallow basin. That I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with you because I hope you're right. <laughs> okay, so uh, and, now, it's, and it's yellow. So Tintin is now uh, boarding. Gets on a board a train because Tintin loves a train. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Uh, the bad guys are there. Uh, yeah. Can we just point out the train is, is not a steam locomotive as it was in 43. It's now an electric train. Very good. That's right. Uh, so uh, so we got the bad guys here saying, ah, silly fools. Who do you think they shot last night? Tintin himself. They know that Tintin. Everyone knows Tintin. <laughs> and uh, pity they didn't finish him off while they were about it. But then, whoa, there's Tintin walking right by. Uh, gets on the train. <laughs> Someone uh, pulls the brake. He falls off, falls down, which is bad because this guy has, should be in the hospital. Yes, that's true enough. That's not great. Uh, <laughs> great and, fall, though. Yeah, it's a really good fall. Uh, Snowy does not fall. Good. I'm glad to see that. Snowy gets beat up way too much for my liking. Uh, goes to check out the corridor. Uh, door opening. What Someone's I like about... Out. Can I just go back up a little bit? Because we left out the fact that Tintin is sleeping, but he is, he is politely, and I would say thoughtfully, put newspaper down so his feet don't get the uh, seat dirty. Yeah, and also that's what Snowy's lying on. Snowy happens to be lying on that too. Because, you know, Snowy's going to get his fur on the seat because he's a dog. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There we are. So, uh. What a Boy Scout. That's right. Uh, Tintin's trying to, uh, trying to follow someone who is getting off the train, but, uh, the conductor will not let him. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, who's, uh, who's on the train there again? Well, Thompson and Thompson are. Someone's been knocked unconscious, and this person accuses Tintin of violence. Yes. This is one of the gentlemen reading the newspaper who saw Tintin get on the train and. Right reacted so we know that he's a bad guy yep jacuzzi he says <laughs> and thompson and thompson again being letter of the law guys even though they like tintin yeah have to have to arrest him have to arrest him so there we go uh they put on the cuffs they can't take his word for it because you know he's been so unreliable so far i mean every time he they accuse him of something he proves someone else is guilty but this time it might be right it just might be real well, maybe, and again, sorry to talk about James Bond, but maybe, you know what, uh, maybe you guys should trust James Bond on this one since he saved the world 17 times. <laughs> maybe cut the guy a lot of slack. And hey, Q, maybe you don't need the things ba- back in one piece don't you always because just... uh, he saved the world. How, yeah, you're welcome, Q. I have to admit that as a kid, I always assumed that the stories did not continue, had no continuity, that they just were one-off stories and each one was... A be- Otherwise, what a horrible place to live, that world of James Bond. Well, yeah, Bond it's just like each one is a new beginning. There's never like, this, not not a carryover, like he does not... Like that's how I always read, you know, because I didn't see them in order or anything as a yeah, child. Yeah, here's the, here's the thing. It's Tintin sort of- feels like it's a, it's a building, growing family. So he meets the Thompsons and now he knows them a bit better. Right. And at some point you think they're going to be like, you know what, I'm going to trust Tintin on this one and not weird russian bearded guy on the train nope because they're men of honor <laughs> and they took oats yes. and this is what they're gonna do yeah so uh they uh they uh handcuff tintin uh, but then they take a nap which is always a mistake around tintin do not go to sleep <laughs> with freddy krueger or tintin uh snowy helps him to escape he pulls the uh, brake, uh, two suitcases and a funny little bit of business fall on the Thompson's head. <laughs> and uh, they wake up, go, oh, we've been had, try to run away. But Tintin has handcuffed now the two of them together. Yes. Which will lead to some good shtick uh, momentarily. <laughs> yeah, it is rather good. So he comes to a village thinking that, oh, well, here I can rent a, I can rent a car from somewhere. So he goes to the blacksmith. Being in, the, in those days, the blacksmith shop would have been sort of the town utility store mm-hmm. where you could do all kinds of different things like maybe get rent a car or, right. you know, get handcuffs taken off, chiseled off your, your wrist, which is exactly what the Thompsons are doing when Tintin walks in. <laughs> yeah. So he's up and uh, runs off. Now, here we have a little bit, of, a bit, I think, kind of is a callback or kind of 
more reminiscent of the earlier Tintin stories, where he has mysteriously found a beard somewhere. In seconds. In seconds. Not, not just a, a beard. Cap, no, a cap. No, not even just a beard. And a wig. And a wig. Yeah. All three. Yeah. Just happened to have them in his pocket. Just in case. Right, because obviously he the, got man, arrested. the man inside there yeah. is pretending to be an old man, and he stole the old man's, or the man's old man disguise. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there yeah. you go. So he's sitting it's at the window. It's very Scooby-Doo. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of that. And so then the Thompsons, of course, are confused. Where did he go? They ask this, this quote-unquote old man with his pipe. Also, it's a pipe, by the way. Yeah. It's a complete kit. He must have had the old man kit in his pocket. One, lucky, abandoned house. <laughs> Two, disguise lying inches from the door. <laughs> Just, no, no, he had it with him, I think. He had it as part of his kit. Oh, do you uh, think Tintin carries this with him? I think in this case, he had like it in his pocket. You know what? I'll give you that. He's got and a I long think, coat. I, think, I would say sure. Yeah. And the house is inflatable. <laughs> so he blew it up. It's one of those ones where you pull like a life lifeboat. You pull it and it inflates yeah. itself. So the house jumps in behind the window. If they walked around the back of it, they'd see it was just a, fla- just a facade. It's just a flat. Right. But they didn't they look. They pulled the blazing saddles on They did not look. Okay. So, so uh, they, but they then fall for it. They fall for it, except Snowy blows the blows it and by, by chases a cat. Him. Because he's a dog. Which is which is interesting, yeah, because he's becoming more of a dog. And through this book, you see Snowy doing things and think, oh, Snowy's uh, helping Tintin. No, he's a yeah. dog. Yeah. Let's exactly. just remember, a piece of bacon will distract <laughs> Snowy every time. Exactly. So they discover the truth. The uh, His hat and wig come off, and he also loses his pipe. Which completely blows the disguise. Once you lose your pipe, everyone will know who you are. That's right. And the Thompsons recognize him and start chasing him again. And then they're running after him. And here's a little bit of business, which is nice, is that in in the story, uh, he says, uh, we're gaining on him. And then uh, uh, Thompson says, I would even say, or maybe they would say, to be precise. And at the moment, he's cut off by them clonking their heads together because they've caught their their handcuffs on a lamppost and it has swung them now, together like a pair of... What's good about that is, and we haven't really said, is in this episode, uh, one of their running gags is they'll say something and the other person will say, to be precise, they'll yeah. do a little word play on it. Mm-hmm. They'll flip. Yeah. And so this is... I, I do like this whenever some... In comedy, when someone's about to do something that they're normally going to do and you cut them off. It's that's good, just... Yeah. That's good timing. It's I good like timing, it. exactly. So Tintin's on the run. Now he's hitchhiking. Gets uh, picked up in a truck. Yes. Thumbs a ride. Uh, this is back before hitchhiking was incredibly dangerous. Yeah, so this would have been this would have been the cliffhanger for for this week as well. So, yeah, so he gets hitchhikes and the and then we cut to the two villains, the Boahahas. <laughs> they're on their they're on a ferry. Yeah, just kind of going. Yeah, it's good. We got him. Yeah, we, we that's freed right. him good. Yeah, good for us. We We're, freed him. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. He's yeah. not going to catch up to us. Blah blah blah. And yeah. suddenly, oh, he's on the truck. And they're just pulling away the gangplank from the uh, from the from the ferry. So uh, so they're all ready to 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 uh, start set sail. And then Tintin runs and jumps into the uh, doorway of the f- the ferry, and says, in "My version." He says, "Oof!" as he jumps. And I got whew, whew. And uh, these guys, the bad guys, should just stop mentioning Tintin's name because anytime they do, it's like, "Ah, oh, that Tintin." We sure got. Ah, oh, there he is. So just don't. And don't mention the devil's name. Has the brilliant Hergé question marks in the uh, word balloons? Yes. To indicate what? Yeah, and then uh, don't let him see us. I guess only the one guy would be the issue because yeah. he hasn't met the other guy, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we can't do anything here on the boat. I don't know why. Push him off. A lot of people have tried to kill people on boats and tinned in before. But... Well, they probably know that someone has tried that with them on a boat and it didn't work out. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah they, yeah, they got carried away by little demons last time. So don't, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So uh, they're heading to Dover. And then they're, he's, telling, <clears throat> he's doing the whole uh, travel log. 
Uh, we reached over in an hour's time. A train from there will get me the little gate. So these are all just made-up names, you're saying. Yeah, he had to change Not them. Dover, obviously. but Dover's real, but most of the little towns of... Uh... Then I'll take a taxi to East Town from uh, little, <laughs> little Gate Station. Okay, now we know the plan. Let's yep. uh, see that happen. He gets in a cab. Uh, the uh, the boahahas. You can see here that he didn't change the uh, the car to a to a London cab as per his instructions. Good. I want to see some fallow fields too. Because it made it made no sense. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, the the cab is cut off. Yeah. It's uh, you know, cars blocking the road. Yeah, a, ja- uh, a jaguar. Right. The uh. the bad guy that looks a, a bit like Clouseau is uh, standing <laughs> standing there with the uh, chauffeur. And uh, when Tintin and the driver try to help, a couple of whacks on the noodle for them. It's great, and I, I like the fact that Tintin is so surprised he doesn't react, you know, and that's pretty realistic, not, yeah. you know, when something like that happens so un, un, so surprising, he, you know, it seems like in a lot of uh, action films, the, the, the star reacts way too quickly. Yeah, they got it going on. I, I like here, I like his reaction balloon, which is an exclamation uh, mark and two question marks. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that before. That's, yeah, he's, he's, he's genuinely startled. He is surprised. And uh, the car drives off, but now... Uh, Tintin, sorry, Snowy is pulling a blue lotus, <laughs> yes. and he's grabbed onto the uh, spare tire in the back. I don't think there's a spare tire. It looks like he's hanging on oh, to, the, hanging to the bumper. On. He's holding okay. on to the bumper. Yeah, just bumpering it. The the Jaguar MKX did not have a spare tire in the back. Very good, brave little Snowy. Good for him. He's not abandoning his master. Good for him. In um, the original, I'm going to say his friend. I don't think Tintin's his master. He's his friend. In the original version, uh, the car that uh, the villains drove was a Humbert Pullman, which is kind of a uh, it's kind of the, the Rolls-Royce of... Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was a Rolls-Royce at that time because there was Rolls-Royce as well, but it was sort of a, a competitor for, uh, of Rolls-Royce for, like, Ooh, limousine. Uh, it was like the, the limo, you know. Now, we got a really nice... You could buy them with a divider so that you could sit in the back and talk through the horn to your driver. Very cool. Uh, we have a very nice, uh, nicely drawn uh, hill. Home, James. Very good. Uh, we've got a very nicely drawn hill here and a cliffhanger, a yeah. literal cliffhanger. As, uh, it's almost as if Bob Demur visited the White Cliffs of Dover. And took some pictures. Now I got and that song did some in my sketches. head. Yeah, it is. A, it is a beautiful drawing. Mm-hmm. Now, in the background, is that the boat uh, going away? I would uh, say it's the boat. It's a boat, indicating that just we're boat. looking at the channel. Yeah, very nice. So uh, the villains are going to. Uh, they're going to make uh, Tintin jump, and uh, well, looks like it's all over for Tintin. Yep. Unless he has a little friend who's going to help him out here. <laughs> you know what? Good for. And again, you, you just see this and just go, "Good for Snowy." Mm-hmm. He has grown since the little guy who complains about everything, the little nattering His character guy. has changed. I mean, he no longer can, he and Tintin can no longer speak yeah. to each other or understand each other, but I think it's but actually, an, it. I think it's an improvement. Well, actually, no, he can understand Tintin. Yeah, he can understand. there's some points yeah. where he will insult Snowy and go, what? And Snowy will, yeah. how dare you? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah. So, uh, so Tintin is at uh, gunpoint. He is being forced to jump off the cliff. And uh, and Snowy saves him by pulling, uh, uh, freeing a goat uh, that is uh, there on the on the hill. And yeah. uh, the goat's not sure about attacking him, but once he bites him on the uh, haunches, yes. he is after him, and this uh, saves uh, Tintin's life. Yeah, it's, it's a good a great, goat. It's a good goat, and it's a great hit as well. I just love the uh, reaction. He knocks Although, over the bearded man. I want to be. I just want to. My one complaint about that is that the guy looks so big. He's mm. suddenly grown in size. Because if you look at the page below. Uh, the goat, uh, maybe the goat's a little bit bigger in this scene, but he just seems gigantic compared to everyone else. I think if you put him, like if you photocopied him and then put him next to the the man in the trench coat reacting, you would 
Yeah. You're kind of like, nah, a little bit too big. I like but I the, shouldn't. I'm picking nits here. That's okay. Uh, I like that he knocks his glasses off and he's got little orphan Annie eyes underneath. <laughs> so uh, Tintin grabs the gun. Uh, yeah, he catches the gun. Yep. In the, in the air. So now he's uh, now he's in the driver's seat, except Snowy is still being chased by the by the goat and leads hit the goat back through between Tintin and the uh, the villains. Uh, who are then able to run off. Because Tintin falls back over a rock. Back what, over. what I like is Tintin, one of Tintin's go-to moves is, look out, it's that thing. Yeah. What? Turn, and then Tintin gets his. Yeah. This guy actually is doing the, look out, here yeah. it comes, and Tintin turns. It's actually a goat. It's, it is, uh, actually is coming. It really he's, is coming. He's not joking, yeah. yeah. Unlike where Tintin's lying, this guy is telling the truth. I'm not 100% uh, like how that goat is coming from anywhere, because you look at where the cliff is and where the water is, uh, where is that goat running from? Well, you'll if you see, you can see Tintin and the goat in the second panel chase, running along the edge of the. Oh, the cliff. that's true. So okay. then they make it looping around. They run a little. They run a little bit, and then they come looping back around and right through the. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so the bad guys get in their car, hightail it out of there. Goat knocked out against post. A uh, little post goes flying. The one that the goat was attached to. Yeah. Uh, hits. Oh, poor Snowy the in the head. Steak. It's one that... Yeah, and here's what I don't like is that after Tintin, well, first of all, I do like the uh, the goat has uh, yeah. bells going around its head like goat bells. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and uh, and and Tintin is is uh, has an injured Snowy walking with him. Yeah, and says you have some brilliant ideas, Snowy, but don't let them run away with you. Well, in the French version, he says uh, he says the first time uh, was good. Was it, the first time was a good play. If that was what, yeah. Uh, but why did you do this? Why did you make a second charge? Like, why did you go, go through again? So what he's, so he's kind of, he's like, it was good what you did, yeah. but the second, you know, he did allow the villains to escape when didn't have them in his clutches. He didn't, he didn't, he's been chased by a goat. At yeah, this but point. he could have been chased. He could have led the goat in a different direction. He didn't have to, he was, the goat wasn't, he wasn't following the goat. The goat was following him. Yeah. So it was Snowy who led the goat in between possibly, Tintin and... The, and but you know what, frankly, yes, I don't think no, at a certain point... He did. No. He did. Why are you so anti-Snowy, Dave? <laughs> it's not that I'm anti-Snowy. I'm, I'm just pointing he out... He saved Tintin's life. I, I know that. Tintin would be on the rocks below if it wasn't for I, Snowy. I so agree with even you. if there's a little mix-up... I agree with you. Uh, ...pet on the head for Snowy, who was just injured in his goat rescue. <laughs> Fussy. Fussy is what he is. So Tintin goes now to investigate the wreckage of the plane that mm-hmm. crashed last night. Yeah. Goes to check it out. There's a policeman uh, who's there. Uh, ask what happened to the pilot. I'm not an expert in policeman uniforms, so I don't know if they made the correction to the Sussex Constabulary uniform. Right. But like any policeman at a crash site, he goes, yeah, let him check out things. Why mm-hmm. not? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, I guess. Yeah. Let a kid check things out. Um, and uh, and looks like Snowy's on the case. Smell something. Yeah. <laughs> good sequence. Really good sequence of like something. Oh. Here we go. And We're he's going. so, he's like, he's like, oh, be on your guard. There could be anywhere. There's perhaps we could someone in here. And he's all, he's all kind of praising has uh, the gun Snowy ready, his, yeah. yeah. Praising Snowy, is, he's got the scent. When uh, Snowy's got the trail, it's all... And then Snowy comes out of the ground with a bone. <laughs> and it's a beautiful little picture of Snowy with a bone. He's so And he's happy. so proud of himself. And Tintin is releasing a barrage of swear words, <laughs> the likes of which we've never seen. Uh, they're all in cartoon uh, swear uh, images. Yeah. Uh, emojis they'd probably be nowadays, but uh, some foul things are being yelled by Tintin right now. Uh, Tintin's so mad he takes the bone and throws and it in anger, which delights Snowy because he's playing fetch let's, now. Let's talk about that word balloon for a second. So okay. that's a very, very French or very Franco-Belgian, that uh, style of swearing. You'd see that in, in Asterix as well with like the skull. Yes. And if it, was, if it was a German swearing, the, the skull would be wearing like a German helmet. That's right. With the spike on top, the Teutonic helmet. And uh, I don't, and I don't know... 
like I know that in Mad Magazine, it had that kind of swearing where it was like symbols, the the at symbol and and uh, you know the kind of the top of the typewriter. Are you asking where it came from? Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm wondering where. I'm wondering, you know, where Hergé was inspired. If he was if he was inspired by comics, maybe I have to look and see. It's hard to imagine that newspaper strips would have been allowed to even have pretend swearing in them. Right. Um, but then again, it's hard to believe that a strip in a Catholic newspaper was allowed to have pretend swearing in it. Yeah, so. it's just it's just make them up symbols. So yeah. you know, whatever you put in your own head, that's your own business. Sure, there you go. So uh, Tintin's really upset with Old Snowy and the and the bone throws the bone. Uh, Tintin's enjoying a game of fetch. Off he goes. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Snowy is. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's tugging at t- Tintin's pants, going, "There's something real. Come in- on." Come interesting. On. But here's a just a. I keep going to the art because that's Please. what's really. But it's interesting in this top row and and um, Snowy's running and his foot, his back foot, is out of the frame. It's sticking out into the into the gutter. Oh, you're right. Which is odd, and I don't quite know why Erge did that because unless he's trying to give us a sense of. I don't know. Movement? It's very strange. Is it? Does it give a sense of movement? It almost gives it a sense of static because it feels like he's trapped there. Hmm. Like his foot is stuck out, outside of the, the picture. Now you got me looking for that if he ever does that again. Yeah, because normally if you want to indicate movement, you'd want to have his foot out of view because then you have the sense of that he's being caught in, the, in, a, in a moment. You know what I mean? He's caught in that moment of action, and you, yeah. and it's not it. You know, whereas this, it's like a complete drawing of him. It's very odd. It's an odd effect. All right. Well, let's keep an eye out for that, and if anyone spots that in future uh, Tintins, let us uh, let us know. Uh, so uh, uh, Snowy is giving him the old no. Seriously, come this way, Tintins. No, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yep, Snowy leads him to a tree, and inside are flying jackets. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the thugs from the plane must have hidden them here, and inside the jacket uh, there are little uh, pieces of paper. Uh, the kind uh, that you could put together and make a little puzzle out of. Yeah. And Tintin, who likes puzzles, yes. uh, it's it's a real one now. So lays it on the grass, puts it together. Yes, and uh, discovers that it says. Uh, what's interesting in the uh, in the uh, French one? It, well, I guess it's really just names. So I forget what I was going to say. Uh, it says East Down, Sussex, Mueller, and then it has some symbols. And uh, Tintin's wondering what it is. He's got his hand up to his chin. That's a hard thing to draw. Holy cow, it looks good. Someone with a hand to their chin? Yeah, I think that's a very difficult thing. It's so hard. The hands are hard enough to draw, just mm-hmm. like stationary. But putting, making them into actions, especially things close to your face, so th- things where like, people are pinching their nose or putting their hand to their jaw, it's very difficult to uh, do that properly. Okay. So I uh, find. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't draw very well, so it's not hard for me because I can uh, draw it badly. <laughs> So uh, he, he sees like a triangle and all this uh, information on there. Doesn't sure what it means. And, uh, oh, Snowy's got a bone again. Ugh. Tintin's had enough of this. Throws the bone. And uh, the bone, almost Australian style, <laughs> yes. boomerangs back at him. Yeah. And an angry man is, uh, is there saying, you're trespassing. It's private property. You basically, don't so, be throwing bones at so me. So he would be the gamekeeper there whose clothes were supposed to be changed. Okay, it's oh, thank you. I'm glad his clothes were changed. That would have really taken me out of the story. That's right. Like like Snowy's leg is out of a panel. To be fair, he was dressed like a clown. Fine, I like that. No, I... Throws a bone at a clown. That's a good scene. He's <laughs> in the woods. All right, so uh, he's uh, showing Tintin the way out of there, saying, "Don't come back again." And uh, off he goes. Uh, and then uh, Snowy's got a bone again. <laughs> Yes. It's pretty good. Uh, Tintin's really had enough of this. Yeah. Chucks the bone into the water. That's going to be the last we'll see of this bone. Uh, then uh, <laughs> slightly later, Tintin's walking down the street and a wet snowy is walking <laughs> with a bone in his mouth. Yes. He's like a dog with a bone, that guy. Yeah. 
And so he and Tintin stops and looks at this wall, and it says Mueller on the wall on the on a name a nameplate on this uh, pillar outside the gates of this of this residence. Right. So now he's curious. So, so he does a a great jump, such a great landing, and then. Do you notice though that he does this uh, jump and landing, and Snowy is already there with a bone? Yeah, because Snowy knows. <laughs> Well, because he can fit through the gate. Yeah, uh, can't that's fit fair. The gate. Snowy does have ways. Yeah. Uh, they run into a Dalmatian. I think a Great Dane, actually. Oh, sorry. Well, I was looking at because of the spots. Yeah. Great. Really? Can can Great Danes be white with uh, with black spots like that? Yes, because that's the Great Dane. Uh, that's not a face of a of a Dalmatian. Understood. But I've never yeah I've never or seen a head a of a Dalmatian. No. But, but you've seen Great Danes that are that with that coloring. I don't know if I've seen Great Tanes with that coloring, but what I'm saying is if you look at this dog, it looks like a... Maybe it's a Mastiff? I don't know, but it Let's looks a like look a... Yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a, let's just agree it's a dog. It's a dog. Okay, it's a big dog. And aren't Dalmatians spotted, not not splotched? Now, here's a here's a weird thing for... Maybe. You know what? Guys uh, and women and everybody who's watching, <laughs> look at this dog. Let us know what uh, what type of dog this is. We'll give you... a. We'll give you our uh, information at the end where you can like write us and go, you fools, clearly it's a <laughs> yeah. you know, British uh, spot hound. Why did you not know that? Or splotch I, hound. I would say splotch hound. Splotch hound. Yeah. Okay. Now here's it's a, a Rorschach. Now, now when Snowy barks, yeah. what's the sound that Snowy usually makes when he barks? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 yeah. I Which I understood because I'm like, okay, this is a Belgian thing. Maybe that's how they sound yeah. when they bark. Yeah. But now I've got a dog here yeah. that's going woof, woof. So what's the woa woa? And here the dog is saying ha ha. Okay. H a w. So why is Snowy barking in a way that uh, is different than another dog? Well, this is a big dog, so it would have a different, deeper bark than Snowy's. So uh, the dog, Snowy's would have Snowy's a high pitched. Yeah, he's, he's uh, got a high pitched bark, and this dog is, which is big, has a deep and uh, a Paul Robeson like woof. Do you know Tintin? You might say like Tintin's enemy in this story are those two gentlemen. You might say that. And I, I would say to you that Tintin's greatest enemy in this story are little tiny rocks. Because <laughs> he falls a lot. <laughs> in this case, the, uh, let's say the splotch hound yeah. is chasing him. Very nice running sequence, by the way. Oh, yeah. That looks great. No uh, one could. I, I, uh, you love him running. You love yeah. Hergé making people run. Yeah. Uh, and, you that know, was something that Jacobs uh, said to, to to Hergé as well. He said that, that you are great at making pe- uh, people in action. You yeah. should have everyone running. So, yeah, that's a great picture. So Hergé must have listened to to. So, Jacobs. but Tintin is brought down hard by a tiny rock. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, okay, these are these are things I like about Tintin. Mm-hmm. One is that he's not perfect. Right. I mean, he's well behaved. Won't take money. Obviously, can beat up three men. Can beat if up they three come men. Into a cell with him. Giant burly men. <laughs> yes, but can fix anything apparently. Well, we haven't seen that since the beginning. So let's not include those books in that. We, have, we haven't seen it in this time period. Okay. We have not seen but Tintin make a car out of debris on Tintin the side of the road. Can fly anything? He could drive yeah. anything. If you have a motorcycle, he could drive a motorcycle. If you had probably had a submarine, I don't know. I assume there's a submarine in the future. He will probably be able to drive a submarine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can do most things. He's well. He's he's very apt. He has a, he's he's quick quick learner. Obviously. Again, as I said before, but, I think it's whatever uh, a child thinks that they could do yeah. if they were Tintin's age. Sure, Tintin can do. But he's not perfect. So if there's a rock in the path, 
you know, and also you need that for this moment because yeah. you need there to be a, a sense of menace. And he is looking menace. back in the previous panel at the dog. So yeah. he's not looking he's where not he's looking going. He's not looking where he's going. This is a lesson, a moral lesson for kids. Right. I'm thinking he can sue whoever's uh, property <laughs> that is, though. Yes. That, when you trespass on someone's property yeah. and fall down, yeah. they are to blame. That is a slip and fall. <laughs> that is, they are absolutely to blame. This is how Tintin makes his money. You, you never know how he makes his money. He makes his money from uh, slip and falls. <laughs> so uh, so uh, the dog looks like it's going to attack That's why Tintin. they called him Slip and Tinny. <laughs> Interesting reference to a modern show. Uh, but the dog goes after Snowy. Uh, it sounds like Snowy's being eaten alive. Yeah. Tintin's very worried. Uh, Tintin, uh, Snowy sounds like he's in agony, but it's because the dog ha- has his bone. Making his bone. And you think like, oh, this has been good shtick with uh, Snowy getting the bone. Yeah. But now that this dog, he, Snowy really cares about this bone, so that's that pays off here yeah. very, very well. Yeah. Good setup. And even in the next page... Uh, where they're escaping, Snowy is still fantasizing about his yeah. bone. <laughs> yeah, you still think about it, which uh, we've talked about before, but I love that uh, element of Erge where he puts uh, thought, the, the thought, uh, a visual thought into into people's heads. Yeah. And actually, looking at it, it's a thought it's a thought balloon, which is the first time we've seen one in in, uh, in uh, Erge. Now, this is, of course, a, a, re, a redrawing of the original, so I would be curious to see okay. if it was a thought balloon then as well, or if he was still doing the... Um, Hmm, I'll have to look and see. Okay, go on. All right. So uh, he gets caught in what he, what you would think would be a bear trap. Yep. No, sir, it is a man trap. It, he knows immediately. Man yes. trap. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like a 1950s movie. It's uh, actually called a, a wolf trap in this story. So Makes sense. That yeah. makes better sense to me. Also feels weird, though, that you'd have one of those where you've got a dog in the yard. Mm-hmm. That seems like you're looking for trouble. Yeah. And not only is there the one uh, trap there, if you look at the board in the next panel, where they're yeah. looking back, yeah. there's 12 of them Yes. over the property yeah. hidden. Also, it looks like it's just on some really light grass, so Tintin really should just... Tintin, look where you're going, <laughs> frankly. Yes. So he's, uh, so he's caught. Uh, the bad guy's there. Uh you know, uh, well, not maybe the bad guy, but uh, what's what's the name of this character here, the uh, bald fellow? That uh, it's his Doctor Mueller. Doctor Mueller. So uh, his assistant, uh, you know, Ivan, Ivan yeah. uh, says, uh, "Release him. He won't run. Probably not. He's got a bad ankle. Also, he's got a bullet wound. Also, he fell off a train. <laughs> he's very injured." Uh, so I uh, said, "Get the car out. We're leaving at once." And uh, scolds Tintin for meddling in their affairs. Now he's going to have to dispose of you. Well, they've been trying to dispose of him like through this whole thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. This is. I'm just looking at the because once again, uh, Tintin is using thought bubbles. Whereas before, he would be speaking aloud. It would like uh, Erge didn't didn't uh, differentiate. Like if you look at the broken ear, there's scenes where he's obviously speaking to himself, not to the other characters. But it's put in a a regular balloon. Yeah, you know what doesn't look right to me? This guy's face. Like you look at the uh, the the middle panel on the very bottom. Yeah. That face there, where he's talking on the phone, for yeah. some reason, it doesn't look like a Hergé drawing to me. Could have been drawn by one of the assistants. Yeah, that doesn't look that doesn't look like on model for uh, Hergé there. Yeah. You know, it uh, it looks like a little bit of a different style. But while he's talking on the phone, uh, he makes the mistake of turning his back on Tintin, who is tied up. Yeah. Tintin uh, goes to a fire and uh, burns his way uh, to freedom, <laughs> and then gives him the old Tintin fist to the face with a nice uh, punch, where the guy. Much like you said before, uh, this guy looks a little too big to me when he's getting punched. Yeah, yeah. Tintin looks like a very tiny uh, boy uh, punching a guy. Like, these three panels actually look a little... Like, Tintin looks all right. But the guy, again, he seems a little off-model for me for Mm -hmm. some reason. Once again, I mean, it might have just been they didn't care as much about the story by this point. 
third time around. But uh, I do like the fight, you know, with the big spinning wheel and yeah. all the heads. We haven't seen that for a while, so no. that's nice to. I like Tintin getting punched in the face and him not really caring that much. Uh, and Ivan comes in, uh, watches, you know, as uh, they're struggling, shooting the gun around. So as I said, this this uh, house and this room was built was based on an actual house in England called Bateman's, which it's was really nicely drawn the residence of, of Rudyard Kipling, who wrote of course, the Jungle Story and was a big uh, part of the Scouts movement as well. So. That's right, and wrote uh, Ricky Tikki Tavi. And by the yeah. way, if you want to beat a cobra, a better way to do it than a chocolate bar, yeah, it's mongoose. So you as should we carry learned, a mongoose in your pocket. You should. You should. Well, yeah. most people in Hawaii have an, a mongoose near them at all times. Is that right? Just in case. Well, there's a lot of mongoose in Hawaii, yes. They are imported, so they have free, free yeah. run. Yeah, if the, you're on a beach, you will... They're the rabbit of uh, Yeah, you will Hawaii. soon be visited by uh, a rooster and a mongoose, and you'll go, this does not seem right at all, but it's it, it works. So uh, the fight continues. Yeah. Uh, bad guy, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mueller, uh, gets the gun from uh, from Tintin, tries to kill him. And by the way, good for him actually trying to kill Tintin and not doing some elaborate plan. Yeah. Just shoot the guy. Yeah. This guy's trouble, uh, but it's empty. Throws his gun uh, through the window. Tintin throws a stool or a table. Uh, knocks the guy into the fire. Uh, lights his lights his uh, butt on fire. It's funny. <laughs> well, his tail, his tail of his yeah. But you know, it's a yeah. funny, it's a funny yeah. light. You know what? Yeah. You know what's happening here? Sure. Uh, he grabs a flaming log from the fire. That's a pretty uh, tough guy move. It's a, it's interesting too, but it just it shows the it's not just that it's a fight; it's a really vicious fight. I mean, yeah. uh, Tintin throws a a table at someone. I mean, that's that's crazy. And then then the guy throws a flaming log back at him. It's pretty. Serious. It's like it's a kind of careless anger that you would have in a situation like that. Like normally, you wouldn't like take the fire and throw up near a curtain in your house. Yeah, you know. But he does, and he doesn't even care that it's on the floor. The, the curtain's on fire. He's picking up the gun to to r- run after Tintin. While meanwhile, this 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 log is flaming uh, and catching fire to the drapes. And you know, we all know that that's not good. So um, it looks he, like a cigarette box is overturned, and we see it uh, a couple of panels here too. Nice little detail there. Um, so Tintin's running up the stairs as the uh, as the fire spreads. So, uh, locks himself in a room. Go ahead. A little bit of interesting detail here too, because there's a, one thing: the quilted door, which I assume would have been a feature of of a like a doctor's office sure. of that time period. But also the mach- the little bit of me- uh, like some sort of medical device. I'm not too sure what it is. Uh, is hanging there? Is that the? Th- no, I don't know what it is. It almost looks like a uh, some sort of primitive X-ray. Yeah, it does look like that. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's just a very powerful light that you would examine somebody with. Yeah. So uh, Mueller is trying to get through the door and then fires through the door. Uh, breaking some bottles of chloroform that are in a cabinet. This is just action-packed. Like, yes. these last couple of pages are just like, you know, I, again, if you want to play the Indiana Jones theme song through this, you would not be wrong <laughs> to do so. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, knocks over some chloroform. So meanwhile, I, Ivan has woken up after getting clonked in the head by the picture, and uh, he comes running out, yelling fire. Tintin uh, doesn't know what's going on. He's just, what you know, what's happening? What's you know? And then he starts feeling kind of dizzy because of chloroform. And then he faints, and we see the fire, the, the licking underneath yeah, li- the door. Licking underneath the door. I was going to see use the same word. And uh, then some villagers see the uh, see the fire. We and should mention you know, Snowy has seen the fire yes, as well. Snowy's outside. He sees the fire. This is one of those stories where Snowy is not brought into the house to be a prisoner, not tied up beside Tintin. Well, you couldn't. Yeah, this is a more serious fight than that. Yeah. Uh, think, sometimes things get real. Sometimes things get surreal. Yeah. They're going to get surreal really soon. But yeah. right now we're in serious fight. And then but it's funny because now the story takes a turn, though, because 
we end up in a so we end up with the the fire alarms going off for the, at the fire station. Right. And we see the uh, volunteer firemen running towards the station. I all, sure hope these firemen are competent and not just funny firemen. Well, you'll be surprised. It's, uh, there's a mix here, though, right? Because we have the funny part. You know, the firemen all come together. Where's the key? He's. They're looking around. There's a fire. The house is burning down. And then we have this picture, great picture, of these firemen kind of walking around the part, around the road, looking down on the ground, trying to find where the key is. They spot it, but also a magpie has spotted it as well. It's the magpie sees the fireman running towards it, grabs the key, and he flies off. So we, I mean, meanwhile, we cut back to Tintin laying on the floor. Right. This, this By is the good, way, this, this is a good cliffhanger for the next good, week. It's a good cliffhanger, but it's also that's a lot of comic strip without Tintin in it. That's fine. Is it? If you're yeah, if you're a kid and you're reading you, Tintin and it's all funny firemen, yeah, you know you want to see Tintin. At least they show Tintin at the end just to go. By the way, the reason that we're doing all this, Tintin's in trouble. I think people knew that, and I think that if you want a cliffhanger, you really made a cliffhanger here because you have all this frustrating business going on, and it hasn't resolved what's happening with Tintin till you get to the bottom of the page, and then we see that he is still in mortal danger, and we turn the page. The firemen are chasing after this this thieving magpie who's in the, who's got a nest at the tallest tree there is. Yes. Uh, then they start having to climb up. It's really good physical business. Good physical business here. Uh, they drop some eggs onto uh, some of the firefighters. Again, these are funny firemen at this point. Yes. These are the equivalent of the Keystone Cops yeah. right now in fireman form. Uh, doing a, their stick, but they get they get the key. They get the key. Okay, running back. Here's the thing. Now I don't know. Now is this where they? Is this where? It, it ended that week that the key is the wrong key after all this work that's a cliffhanger so we don't even see Tintin that's weird we just know that it's a wrong key and the next week we're not going to get Tintin again yeah this is a lot of weeks without Tintin so just remember Tintin he's still in trouble so then uh, the running back the fireman has to run back with the key he realizes that he's taking the wrong key from home he goes running a woman is running towards they're going around a corner they don't see each other they smash into each other yeah She's all mad. For some reason, although he smashes into her right cheek, she's holding her left cheek. Uh, he's holding the correct cheek, but she's holding the wrong cheek. And she's holding the key and she says, you know, Fred or whatever his name is. You've Is it Harry or Fred? I got uh, Fred here. And it's Harry in the French one. Strange. But uh, I think Harry is not a very British name, so they changed it to Fred. But um, he's uh, being scolded by her. And then we just do... One of Harry's classic quick cuts to a fire engine. Well, before we do that, you've got to say what it's what the mix-up was. Oh, he, he, he... How many times have I told you that's the key to my jam cupboard? Yeah. What? Would you, why do you... Okay. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Tell me this the is, thing. This is one of the problems with, with the up the update. Yeah. Because when you had a bunch of firemen, obviously volunteer firemen, carrying a hand, like a, a hand-drawn hand, you know, pump yeah. uh, in the small village, it seemed more believable that you could get a mix-up over a jam key and, and a key to the fire to the I fire just hall. Don't, I just don't buy that she's got a key to her jam cupboard. Like, how precious is jam in this village that people are breaking well, and entering? It, but the jam cupboard is just like a name for like a larder. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's all jam. No, I got you. It's just a. That's so nice. yes, you would lock the larder of you your house. Would yeah. What what's wrong with this village? Why are they stealing all the food? Not, people are, not that you're worried about people stealing your food. You're worried about your kids eating all the food in the house. Oh, that's so you the would thing lock. you're saving yeah, it for the kids. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm looking at this going. This has happened 
over and over again where yeah. the fire department couldn't get the key and yeah. houses have burned because you want to save your jam. <laughs> yeah. So you know jam, what, lady? A your jam, jam your jam's going to go. Yeah. Don't just think of it as jam. It's not just a jam cupboard. It's, right. It was, a, it was a, a name, all kind of all-encompassing name for right. a larder or pantry. All right. That's some context that uh, you're bringing to it that I'm not seeing in this. <laughs> I'm just saying a lot of people have died and burned I'm to just, death I'm just saying, this lady's yeah. jam. When you're reading a British book, you sometimes have to understand that there are different idioms that people in England use what that we don't use. What did you just call me? What's that? Did you just call me an idiom? Uh, no, a Thompson. Right. Um, right. So, uh, so off they go. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So now they're in this... Like I say, in the original book, it's a hand-drawn, uh, like a hand-pulled uh, fire engine. In this case, it's an actual, you know, motorized vehicle that they race, hook and ladder, that they race to the uh, Mueller's house. Uh, of course, Mueller doesn't want them there. He's quite happy to have, have the house burned down around Tintin. Yeah, boy, he really wants him to die. Oh, yeah. So much so that he will burn his entire house to the ground. Yes. Yeah. Which is a fancy house. Yeah, it's a very nice house. Uh, and even try and stop the fireman, he cuts the hose and... And a weird thing, he's doing this evil act, and then you get this comedy bit where he gets sprayed in the face, and his eyes are peeping out of it like he's a ghost. Yeah. It's kind of strange, but what the heck. We are going a lot of weeks without Tintin. Lots. Still no Tintin. So then... Uh, he gets spotted for this. He gets spotted like, for this. How is he going to get away with that? Yeah, exactly. That's a bad plan. Go, don't to the middle of the hose. Go to wherever, you know, somewhere yeah. else. And he's kind of desperate. Well, it's attached to the to the truck, so it'd be hard to be somewhere where people can see you. Right. But... Uh, now Ivan is punching a firefighter who sees this yeah. uh, in the face, knocks him out. Uh, they, they start running for it. Uh, and then finally, Snowy uh, says, hey, come this way. There's a, something. And, uh, yeah. and the firefighter smartens up. So he has redeemed himself, this guy. I think this is the same guy. Is it the same yep, guy? Yeah, same guy. He's got the glasses. Good for him. Redeems himself. I know, it's weird, because, yeah, they have this jokey part of it. And this is done very seriously, and it's done very methodically, too. He brings the ladder there. He's very he brave. Up. There's two panels where you don't see him. Yeah, it's a flaming so we, room. Like, he's yeah. risking his life. So you have this sense of time passing, and then we have him coming back down the ladder. Very well done sequence. And, and then we cut to... Uh, Tintin in the hospital. Well, I guess he's going to rest up and he's going to get his stay uh, there, health back be fine. because he's been nope. shot. He has fallen off of a... He hasn't fallen a off of a train. He fell off the off a seat of a train. After leaving a hospital with a bullet wound. Yeah. That's going to tear open your wound. That's a bit different than falling off of a train, though. You know what? The guy's dealt with that <laughs> okay. enough times, too. That doesn't hurt him. <laughs> no, okay. So uh, Tintin's asking the firefighter who's there. Good for him, by the way, waiting. And uh, Tintin... Uh, sorry, Snowy's getting a nice pet on the head there. Little worried uh, Snowy. Good for him. By the way, heroic Snowy saved Tintin's life there. Yeah, again. Yeah, that's two times. Good for him. Um, so uh, he's uh, telling him, uh, Doctor Mueller, uh, they couldn't catch the guy. His car was uh, standing just by the house. He hopped off. Uh, didn't have a chance to, to to get him. Tintin's a little annoyed by that, and uh, uh, the doctor goes, "What? You getting out of bed already? You bet I am, Doc. So long, <laughs> chump. Off he goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah." One interesting, one interesting change we haven't talked about uh, too much is, uh, or we didn't mention, was that in the original story, Tintin was wearing an all like a suit jacket. He wasn't wearing this his classic blue sweater at this at that point in the stories. So, uh, for some reason, now they changed it for these, of course, because it become a sort of a trademark. I the get it. Plus but four is it, in the, it's in the a blue little jacket. jarring for me when I was reading this because, like, you know, we start off with what's the weather like? Well, it's overcoat weather. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, oh, it's did did spring just sprung? Yeah. You know, because now he's uh, in the in that outfit, and it feels like wait, no, that's not what the weather is. No, it doesn't look terrible though. It's it a, doesn't it's look a blue terrible, sky. but you know, where what happened to your jacket? You were wearing a jacket. Well, earlier. he's lost it, by the way, too, because he's 
everything he's had is gone because he's been on the run. So he's not, he hasn't been carrying it. Okay. He lost his utility pack that has his wig and beard. True. In it. So true. Yes. He's just it's just him and his blue sweater now. Okay, and probably a stack of cash in his pocket. He always seems <laughs> yeah. to be pretty loaded for. I know. Uh, there's no ATMs. It always mystifies me how he can go through this giant adventure and then buy a, a luggage at the end of it. I'm pretty sure though that he can wire. And he changed for money. his pants more than once. Oh, and by the way, like you mentioned in the last issue, yeah, uh, or the last volume episode, yeah, uh, episode. Well, episode of our show, uh, but uh, last volume of the book, yeah, uh, that uh, that was his last one as a reporter. He is mentioned to be a reporter in this one. Oh, is that right? Yes, he is. Uh, we will get to that. Uh, so Tintin goes back as a reporter to investigate uh, the house. <laughs> he's more of a detective at this point in the story. You know what? He, he's, he's more of a guy who still isn't looking where he's going because he trips. <laughs> Look in front of you, man. You know there's wolf traps slash man traps all over this place. The fire department did not clear those out. No. Eyes open, buddy. I'm surprised it wasn't a scene where this fireman stepped in a, a man trap. Yep, and goes, now I'm in a jam. <laughs> So uh, Tintin trips over something, turns out to be an electric cable, traces it, traces it, traces it, traces it, a little bit of shtick where he pulls pulls on the cable and a branch falls down with a red light on it. <laughs> Goes searching around, finds three of these things, all of a sudden that paper from earlier is starting to make some sense. Yeah. And once again, uh, a balloon with a picture in it to really help you. He's remembering it, so we, we see it in his mind. Quick, it, quick thing here, uh, when Tintin gets it, it says, got it in mine, uh, and it, it's in capital letters. It's a completely different lettering style. What's it like in the French version? It just says, oh, but once again, it, because it's a, a, a big uh, word, it's, it's done in capitals. Yeah, I would have gone with O in this one too, but whatever you're going to do, translators. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the, the, the bad guy's uh, Duchamp. Duchamp, is that his name? Mueller. Mueller. Why am I thinking Duchamp? Mueller uh, is, uh, is worried. It's like, oh, if uh, there's another delivery tonight, if the lights are uh, not on, he'll be back uh, without dropping his uh, load. And I, I'm running short of money. He's upset at all this kind of business. So he's going back at night where uh, Tintin is now uh, awaiting, wondering if uh, they will come again tonight. And then here's a plane. Yeah. And yes, indeed, a drop happens. And then another drop. And uh, someone, well, oh, he hears the big thump, goes to check it out, and a third drop lands on uh, the bad guy's head. Well, I, th- th- he's running along, and he's he's because let's just say like he's running. He's, he hears the uh, bag drop, and he's which is closer than the other one. So he goes, well, I'll go in that direction. So we see him running towards right. Mueller and Ivan. Mueller has a gun drawn, ready to shoot him, and Tintin saying, "I wonder what I'm going to find." Basically, I'm paraphrasing the French. Yeah. And then... Uh, his best case scenario is the bullet will hit his other bullet that's still inside of him and ricochet off. And then uh, they drop the third bag and it lands right on Mueller's head just as Tintin arrives. Uh, Ivan starts to run away. Yeah. Tintin's chasing after him. Tintin steps on a rake. Once again, doesn't look where he's going. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, he did no. avoid a man trap. I guess this is a different sort of trap. They laid a bunch of rakes around the property. Uh he sh- fires because he's hit in the face by this rake. It shoots off Ivan's cap, who then immediately surrenders because if someone can fire that well, uh, there's just no point running. Yeah. Only- also swears Also, uh, that uh, happens. Tintin is knocked unconscious. By the way, I like the sound effect here, which is zwiz. Uh, Z-W-I-I-I-I-I-Z. Yeah, it's used in the French one as well, so they didn't change it. Nice. Um, so uh, then Ivan stops. He's standing there uh, waiting for Tintin. And finally he notices that Tintin has knocked himself knocked himself out with a rake. Ah, excellent, says the bad guy. <laughs> so he walks back, but the tables have turned. 
And so as the rake... Once again, he just says, oh, in my version, so... I got, oh-ho! <laughs> uh, uh, bad guy, Ivan, steps on the rake. Smack. No, he doesn't. Sorry. This is not done really well, but actually Tintin slams his leg down and makes the rake hit Ivan in the face. Oh, okay, that is uh, not that clear. Yeah, there should be a, a movement line for his leg rather than movement lines for for Ivan's uh, legs. But, but yeah, if you look, you can see Tintin's leg is on the rake. Try and you do that the... move. I don't see that happening. I see the physics of that. If you if you took your ankle and put it down on a rake like that, yeah, but see, you would, yeah. Ivan's feet aren't touching the, the No, rake. no, I understand that. But again, just think of the physics of you put your ankle down on a rake like that. You're, the rake's going to go at an angle that's not going to hit straight up, right? Yep. Physics doesn't work. But, well, uh, I'm putting this but what is Tintin, Forget it. What does Tintin say when he's looking down at the, at the unconscious Ivan? I got quits. Okay. What do you got? He says, and there you go. Or and th- or and there you are. So it's almost like a a uh, you know it's almost like a well that worked worked yeah. for me. And uh, I like the next scene. And now we're into the dawn. The dawn, yes. And uh, and he's dragging Ivan, and uh, Snowy's going for a ride on him. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so uh, nice Tintin, t- Tintin, by the way, in past comics uh, has uh, tied people up incredibly badly, mm-hmm. and he will all and they will always escape. Anyway. Just saying that before Tintin ties two guys up with electric wire uh, and goes to check out the bag, uh, finding banknotes inside. Yes. So now we know what's going on. Forgers, by gosh. Yes. Forgers. Um, or faux moneyers, as they're called. Uh, sure, why not? Goes searching for more of the bags, but Tintin does not know how to tie a knot to save his life. <laughs> Maybe if he spent a bit more time in scouts. He would have been better at tying... Uh... Yeah. At least tying kerchief knots. Maybe that'd be a good idea. Maybe less of the bad guys would... Maybe more of your stories would end at the 30-page mark rather than the 62-page mark if you knew how to tie a knot. Off they run. But a, a great sequence coming up. I love this sequence so much. Well, why don't you describe it? Okay, well, we see uh, Mueller and Ivan running off. They're carrying a bag of, of dough as well because, they, as, as he said, he didn't have a, a sou in the French version. Uh, so Tintin's running after him. Hey, they're running down a path. They jump into their, their Jaguar, MKX. And uh, start driving off. Tintin hears this. He's going to cut them off at the pass. He climbs a tree, jumps onto the f- onto the fence, and is waiting for them. The stone wall, I guess I should say. He's waiting for them. And then, just as they come along, he's being very careful. He's timing himself this perfectly. Jumps off, says the hop that you get in French, and then lands right on the ground, chin first. Yeah. <laughs> with lots of stars. And I like that Snowy before that is worried that he's going to break his neck. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he might. And then... Uh, and then we see Tintin laying on the ground with some candles going around his head. Yeah, I like the candles. That's yeah, nice. Once again, nice. And so then, uh, yeah, he still still has some stars. And then he hears a toot toot. I guess he's standing in the middle of the road. He commandeers. I got, a, I got parp parp. Okay, toot toot. And he parp parp. And what's weird is the O's have the little uh, circumflex on top of them, mm. which is weird. Classy. Well, it just implies that there was a missing S in there, so it doesn't... Ah, interesting. Odd. Uh, and so here we have a little Triumph Herald uh, pulling a little cute little camper and uh, replacing the Vauxhall from the original version. Because once again, update everything. Update sure. it. So you don't want this old Vauxhall. You have to have like the newest convertible... Oh, the kids would be so mad if oh, you used my the gosh. old version. Got to have that Triumph Herald. And then... Uh, so <laughs> Tintin climbs into the camper. And once again, another great sequence. They're, they're going up this steep hill... The camper comes detached from the car, starts rolling backwards, and uh, Tintin, uh, he says, well, it's more of the snow, he says, Tintin, where are we going? I don't know what he says in uh, the English version, but then Tintin crashes through a fence. It doesn't say anything, actually. Sm- smashes into a tree. It doesn't say anything in your version? Well, take a look. What do you got? Here. Where? 
in that. Oh, uh, now we're for it. Oh, okay. Similar. Okay. And then I kind of like the where are we going. So, And then they smash into a tree. It looks like an apple tree. Go flying right out. They go flying right out. Of course, Snowy gets an apple on the noggin. Yeah. And uh, Tintin gets in trouble for uh, uh, swimming in a no bathing area. Although he's just laying in the water with some seaweed well, or lake weed on Well, he's in trouble for two things. Uh, three things. Oh, yeah. Uh, for camping on private property. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, picking unauthorized fruit. Yes. And third offense, uh, swimming in a manner liable to cause breach of the peace. <laughs> you know what? Do you know what I... Here's my one problem with this. Yeah. Where did the, the policeman come from? Well, no, not not where the policeman... That's a good gag. Yeah. Like, I could almost see if he's a park ranger. Yeah. Then I'm seeing, yeah, this park ranger business. But that he's a police officer. Oh, by the way, I'm chasing some forgers. Uh, let's get in your car yeah. and go chase those forgers. Well, he's the local policeman, so he wouldn't have had a car. He probably would have been riding a bike. Okay. That's fine. Let's get on your bike. Let's do something. <laughs> Two of us get on your bike. Look, whatever. You're Chase a, a jaguar. You're a police officer. Yeah. I'm chasing forgers. Oh, where's the fun in that? Where's the logic in that? Okay. So uh, uh, Tintin and Snowy heading up a hill. It looks like uh, Snowy's getting a little exhausted. Once again, Tintin thumbing a ride. Yep. Uh, gets one, uh, gets one, goes up the street a while. And we see that the car they were it's chasing a, has a, smashed. It's an Austin as well. He gets it right in Austin. Yeah. Great snakes. It's their car. Uh, will you drop me here, uh, please? And uh, the occupants, not a scratch. I saw them uh, go off towards the railway station. So Tintin is on the run again. Yes. Which we like seeing him. We always like him running. They go to catch the train. Train's pulling out. And again, Snowy, as Tintin's going to do this move. Yeah. This kind of like almost cat-like jump. Yeah. Uh, which has not worked in the past. He's landed on his face. <laughs> He's now doing this with a railroad, a, a, a rail car. It's so dangerous. I like uh, his tenacity. His tenacity. Uh, <laughs> jumps on there. And uh, so does Snowy. Brave little Snowy. Yeah. And uh, but, but here comes the tunnel. Yeah. It's great. And uh, Tintin is covered with soot, and so is Snowy. He's not so snowy anymore. By the way, it's a stinky tunnel, apparently, too, because Snowy uh, says, Phew, what a stink when they're in the in the tunnel. I, I never thought of train tunnels as being smelly. Well, it's probably just a diesel smell. I guess so. Um, so then, uh, we, then we cut to Mueller on the train. They're all, he's just going to go out, uh, going to yeah. go wash his hands, he spots, says. Spots him and gives the foulest swears. <laughs> ma- you <laughs> thought Tintin swore like a yeah. sailor earlier. <laughs> Uh, yeah. This is stuff that later would make Captain Haddock uh, flip These out. These are real swears. And I think this is a sequence that offended the uh, British editor by the the, the, uh, the uh, aisle way being too large, a quarter being too large for for a British train. <sighs> Should be narrower. Haven't you seen Hard Day's Night? It's so narrow with those trains. All right. The chase has begun. Tintin is, uh, is going after uh, Mueller. Uh, 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 just a regular guy is stepping out. Uh, blocks Tintin's way. Oh, it's so hard for Tintin to get through. Uh, he, he goes talks to Ivan uh, Mueller. They grab a bag. Well, he is a, the problem for Tintin is that he's a young boy, or not a young boy, but he's a teenage boy who's running around on a train. So adults aren't going to react to him like you're chasing counterfeiters. You're a detective trying to do something. You're going to react to him True. as you're just a young kid running around on a train. Though people don't slow down, youngster. Maybe, but young man. It's not usual for people to react to Tintin like he's a teenager. People react to Tintin like you know, like no one ever goes, "Whoa, you're a bit young for this," right? No one ever does that. Everyone's just like, yeah, okay, sure, we'll rent you that car. Need a rocket ship? You betcha. Here's a jetpack for you, buddy. <laughs> I don't think anyone's rented him a car, but okay. Okay. Now, you know why? Because he just like thumbs a ride, and then the person falls out, and he gets his own car. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Anyway, the chase is, continues. Running through the dining car. Chicken goes flying. Uh, Snowy grabs the chicken. Out they go. Uh, the uh, yeah, Mueller and Ivan, uh, they are trying to disconnect the trains from each other. 
Do they succeed? Yes, they do. And uh, and uh, the, the the car that uh, Tintin is on uh, just you know, slows to a uh, slows to a halt as they uh, as they go off. Yes. And uh, sad, uh, sad, uh, our annoyed, soot-covered Tintin and Snowy, still carrying a chicken. Yeah. Uh, walk down the. Th- remember this, by the way. How long Snowy the dog carries this chicken in his mouth? Just remember this. We'll get to it later. So, um, so they uh, they spot a, a whiskey car. Hop onto it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the original version, it was a Johnny Walker whiskey. Oh. Uh, but the the editor, or the Methuen, asked them not to have like actual brand names. So so it became Loch Lamond, which was kind of the gag uh, whiskey drunk by uh, Captain Haddock. So did they ever make that whiskey for real later on? I don't know. It feels like the kind of thing. Like I know with someone D- should do that. I know with Duff Beer and Simpsons, they made that later yeah. on because yeah. it was such a pop. I you know what I'm I'm gonna I would bet you a donut. That they did. Okay. I'll so, take your donut. But here's the funny thing about this. And I'll raise this. you a cruller. There's a lot of... Uh, this is Canadians uh, betting. This is what we bet with donuts. <laughs> uh, so now they're on the train, and yeah. Tintin is eating a piece of the chicken. Yeah. And I'm like, great. how long did Snowy have the chicken in his mouth? Oh, come on. Don't be so precious. Okay. Speaking of precious, uh, there's a leak in the uh, in the uh, whiskey <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, train, yeah, uh, cart, and uh, and uh, Snow, Snowy thinks it's raining. He's concerned. Yeah. Uh, then he starts to drink a little bit of the rain. Ooh, this is pretty keeps, good. And then he keeps drinking the rain. Pretty soon he's lying on his back with his mouth open. Yeah. Taking in the full, uh, the full amount of this. Yep. Whiskey that's uh, pouring out of this. There's a lot of whiskey. You'd think that they would check this before they would hook it up, because the, really, by the time the uh, train car got to wherever it's going, it would be empty. Absolutely. And they'd be followed by dogs, because apparently dogs <laughs> love this brand of whiskey. They love whiskey. Two people like this type of whiskey. One, dogs and uh, and uh, haddock. Yeah. All right. Two, so, f- two animals, fish and dogs. So uh, they stop the train. Something's yeah. going on. Uh, and uh, Snowy, uh, Snowy is drunk. Let's just say Snowy is... Uh, just uh, some come and give a dog a, a chance. He's doing his best Foster Brooks. That's right. He's, uh, he's walking, walking on his uh, front paws. Uh, <laughs> Rear, uh, his back paws. Back paws. No, he's walking on his front paws. There we go. See? Next page. Oh, on the next page. I'm sorry. I was looking at yeah. the... Uh, one Does of a him. face plant and uh, gets a scolding gets from a scolding uh, Tintin. From two Tintins. By the, by the way, oh, we see that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but the first one is the big scolding. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Disgusting. You're worse than a mongrel from the gutter. Let me just mention something, uh, Tintin. Yeah. In your last uh, volume of your story, you got drunk too. So let's not put on airs. <laughs> and you are clearly an underage um, a boy. Yeah. So anyway, you're right. The next panel has uh, two Tintins scolding him uh, because uh, Snowy is seeing double. Let me just say that I think they missed a good gag okay. here, which is uh, you've got you've got uh, Snowy repeatedly getting drunk throughout this. Mm-hmm. You have the Thompson twins. Yeah, he would think that he's still drunk if he saw the Thompson twins because they're twins because he's seeing double here. But he kind of knows who they are. But okay, all right. I just think there was something there wasn't done. Uh, Tintin is now on the run. Uh, chasing, because uh, Snowy's got the wind of something. I guess he's shaken off the drunkenness. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's chasing him down, chasing him down. But no, he just found more whiskey. <laughs> Some barrels of Loch Lamont whiskey. Why you, says Tintin, before he gets hooked around the neck by a cane and pulled in. So Two? I'm, I guess these are empty barrels because there's also bottles that are outside of this place, outside of this pub that they found. And it would seem odd that they would store all their alcohol outside in the alley. I know. I mean, it, the, listen, this area of town 
You gotta look up your jam. You gotta look. <laughs> this is a different tone, but yeah, it yeah. seems odd. That, it's the, uh, it's it's that time you're to, space where you are really obsessed with jam. Yeah, I just can't believe you had that jam cover. You had to lock up. So um, so Tintin is uh, now caught by the Thompsons. Yes. Uh, they, After scolding uh, Snowy and telling him that he has to be careful. That's right. Uh, they spot uh, well, again Ivan running out with the uh, bag of uh, fake loot, uh, yeah. but once again gets hooked around the neck by the Thompsons. Yeah, you know, not so fast. And the bad guys get away. He's trying to convince them. No, let me chase them. Then makes a deal with them, saying, "Look, all right, look. How about you know if uh, I, I we're gonna go chase him, and if uh, you know, and at the end of this, I'll give myself up." Okay? Mm-hmm. Don't arrest me until those thugs are behind bars, then I'll give up. And they agree to this. Sounds like a deal's a deal. Yeah. Off they go uh, with Snowy. Uh, Chase. See, they're, in the, they're now in the town of Halchester. Which has made them up as well? Yes. Uh, Halchester, big enough to have its own flying club. Uh, and uh, as yeah. they go into the airfield, a plane almost clips them. You didn't have to be big. You just had to have open spaces to have an airport uh, sure. those times. But yeah, a Cessna 150 comes flying down. Once again, probably drawn by Roger Leloup. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his usual exacting way, although knocking uh, the bowler hats off. Yes, which is great. Which the Thompsons, of course, then leave Tintin behind to go collect collect their hats. Uh, you know, but they've made a deal with Tintin, and Tintin yeah. is an honorable fellow. He's Why honorable, would they? Uh, but not honorable enough that he won't take a plane and fly off without them. Which is exactly what he's done. Wait for me. I'll be back. Goodbye. See, the jokes with the Dupont rather than the Thompsons is that the one Thompson will say. I'm starting to think that Tintin's right. These men are bandits. So it's because they've knocked, they've you know, knocked their hats off is probably the most convincing part of it. And then uh, the other, and then Dupont says, "Then bandits. I would say more. These men are uh, bandits. That's my opinion." So it's a bit different the way he, the way Hergé yeah. writes. Here's it what, uh, here's what I got. I'm beginning to agree with Tintin. They look like crooks. Yeah. To be precise, so do I. Tintin may be right. They cook like rooks. <laughs> Bit of a stretch. Yeah. Let me go back in time and talk to that translator. <laughs> no. <laughs> End it before that one. And I'm back to the present now. So uh, I hope I haven't affected history too much. So there's uh, a Tintin taking off in the delightfully named uh, de Havilland chipmunk. Oh, adorable. Yes. And now a plane. really good bit of business. Yes. Where they go up to a... Not a, just a good bit of business. Pretty much the rest of the book business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go up to a pilot, uh, say, we're police officers, start this plane up, we're uh, taking off right away, but I, that's enough, yeah. no ifs or buts, we're the police, police yeah. understand, take us up, and they soon learn that was just the mechanic, he's never flown a plane in his life. <laughs> we're going to leave them at that and go back to Tintin, Yeah, who is with a pilot. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they, See, he doesn't just, I mean, I know in Cigars of the Pharaoh, he flew a plane, but in that they make it kind of clear that he's not very good. He's not a very good pilot. He's oh, just kind of keeping it up in the air. Tintin will crash any car yeah. within three blocks. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's, you know, there you go. He's just a young guy. So, in this instance, he's convinced the pilot to follow these these guys. Very handsome pilot. Yes, he's got that British RAF look with the little <laughs> yes, mustache. Yes, he's had some yeah. adventures, eh? Oh, yes. Everything's oh, tickety boo Oh, yes. Do you want to prang this crate? Let's do some more World War II slang. Sure. Uh, so then... Uh, Unfortunately, he runs out of gas. He wasn't that prepared. He's <laughs> well, not he a scout. Gonna, he wasn't going to be flying. He wasn't going to be flying day. that far. I mean, he was just going to go around Helchester a little bit, not fly all the way to Scotland. So he's flying along. Obviously, we're in the north now, so we we see the stone walls rather than the wooden the, right. or barbed wire fences you get in the south. And uh, just as he thinks he's got a smooth place to land, his his wheels clip the fence, nose first into the ground. The the uh, the 
cover, I don't know what they call that, the cover of the cockpit, flies off, and uh, Tintin is thrown into a briar patch where his clothes are, <laughs> are torn to shreds by the By the way, by the Tintin, nettles. my tip to you, yeah. uh, wear a seatbelt more. Because you guess, seem to go flying through a lot of stuff. I guess we're, we're in Scotland. There must be thistles. We should know that there are thistles that he's fallen well, into. Well, these are brambles. And the pilot says, this is what nothing the, broken? the man says, is, is brambles. Oh, okay. Uh, Ock, the, the poor wee laddie, he's fallen into the brambles. Ah. That's what I got here. I guess it's the same in French. They're not called brambles. But, so, uh, uh, taking him back uh, to, uh, to his house. Oh, and remember that the, uh, remember that the um, for whatever reason, the editors at Methuen requested that Hergé add a tiger moth to the story. That's what the, that's what the Thompsons are in, is a tiger moth, ah, this particular biplane. And I don't know why it was felt that maybe it was, they thought that'd be funny. A biplane with, you know? It gets a lot of press, this, uh, it gets a lot of play in this, frankly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we cut back to them, uh, they're panicking, flipping out. To, uh, literally flipping in the air. Yeah, and then we're back, uh, down to, uh, you know, letting them into the house. You know, go change some clothes and, uh, get, uh, tinting a tam and a kilt. This a is nice a sweater. Yeah, this is a great part of the story, because... I, I, I do love a kilt. I wish I was Scottish so I could wear one, but I'm not. So it just would be a strange affectation to wear a, a kilt. But I think kilts, the whole costume do you know what of I the think? kilt. I think you should a... wear a kilt when you do uh, your art because you've got your own like art studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, who judges you there? Wear your kilt. I would judge myself. And that would be an affectation. It's no different than Seth wearing a boiler suit when he draws. Seth is a cartoonist that you admire, and nothing wrong with that. He does good work. He does good work, but do you need to do it in a boiler suit? Being my question to everyone, no. Apparently, he does. <laughs> Apparently, he does. So uh, I'm working now. Now, uh, you know, Snowy takes this opportunity to drink more whiskey. <laughs> And gets a smack on the bottom from Tintin now. He's had enough of this. And he's crying. His Poor alcoholic Snowy. pooch. Poor Snowy. You know what? Those might be booze tears. Who knows? So, so uh, go. Please continue. Oh, I was just going to say. So uh, so we find, discover that, uh, well, that uh, where the uh, plane has crashed is a small town called Kiltic. And so uh, I guess because he's wearing a kilt. Sure. So he's going to... So. Uh, Tintin finds out the directions and he heads on his way, and so we get some beautiful landscape of the yeah, of the Scottish gorgeous. Highlands as he's as he's walking along through it. Uh, uh, snowy spots a hare. He chases after a rabbit, and then of course trips over a rock and falls into some thistles. Those are actual thistles, not just brambles. Yeah. Uh, poor, poor Snowy. snowy yeah. Whatever made you sit on a thistle? <laughs> and uh, Snowy is just annoyed now for the rest of this oh, walk. And then this is beautiful, beautiful image shot. of yeah. him walking into this Scottish town. Oh, I've been, you know, I've, I've been all over England and I love Scotland so much. It's one of my favorite places. Like, I have never been there. I've been most places there, but I have not been there. Yeah. And I mean, I've been all, not just in like Glasgow or, or Edinburgh, but I've also been like far as far north as you can go in, in, in England. And I just love these scenes because they're so reminiscent of, of being in the smaller towns in, in Scotland and of just the kind of roughness of the, of the stone uh, buildings. It's very, very well done. Here's something I like is uh, Tintin walks into the pub mm-hmm. and is asking for information. Uh, yeah. We can put him up for the night. And look at Snowy's face as he's uh, around somewhere where there's liquor. Yes, he's so happy. He can smell it because you yeah. see his nose going in the first yeah. instant. And you see a poster on the wall for, for La Coloman whiskey. Yeah. So you know what's being being uh, consumed there. Now uh, Tintin runs into an older gentleman. Now th- here's, a, here's a thing that I have a little problem with sometimes in these books. Uh, which uh, is drawn, uh, which is writing uh, to the voice uh, with the uh, with the accent. Yeah. 
So the old uh, Aqui Berne way. Of course, you don't get it in the French version. There's no. Uh, yeah. That's strictly in the. I don't. That was a. Well, we. You know, that's something I, I objected to as a, as a kid reading like Paddington, where the accents would be phonetically spelled out yeah. in, in the. You know, it would be very difficult to read because you'd be having to. You couldn't just read the words. You had to pronounce them out the way that they're written. But because you had no familiarity with the accent, it was really difficult to, it to feels, understand to, it. To me, I mean, it's a personal choice, and maybe someone who likes this likes this. But to me, it takes it takes me out of it, and it slows. Yeah, if you down. want, you can add your own accent. Yeah, knock yourself out. But, so the uh, yeah, it's that's the that's a translator's choice, not Hergé's. So basically, uh, it's told uh, about uh, a beast. Beast on the Black Island. That uh, and just a little bit of just a please. one more little mention is that in the hat we see a little bit of a tribute to bring it father with the flat plaid that's not you know contoured to the actual shape of what the cap would have been, but it's just there as a flat pattern, which you saw a lot in uh, George McManus's Bring It Father. Oh, okay. So and and Hergé liked to do that before, and then if you look at say the the kilt. You can see how it's rounded. the The lines are rounded to, to the form of the how it would be shaped right. to Tintin. But the cap is just a completely flat pattern, as if it's just it's just strange. But yeah. it's a bit of a tribute to 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 bringing it oh, farther. Nice one, uh, and and I like it. So okay, it's got to go to the Black Island. What's do you know, go- do you know so who here? does that now a lot? Is uh, me when I'm being lazy and I'm drawing. That's you, you can bet Jaime Hernandez also in Love and Rockets. Oh okay. Uh, like the patterns are almost always just flat, like a flat plaid. Not not contour. I've seen it as a fairly common thing in cartooning now, again, because it makes life easier. Yeah. Um, so well, so yeah. Uh, yeah, tell him about the Black Island and the Beast, who he thinks, oh, the Loch Ness Monster, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. No, ugh, no, no. There's a terrible beast in the island, and uh, you, uh, don't go, you'll die. So Tintin's, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to go, and uh, is asking uh, pers- uh, person after person to take him there, and uh, no, no, heck no. Uh, ask one person, uh, can I take your uh, boat there? No, you won't come back with it because you're going to be dead. Don't, well, f- don't forget to mention that at night you can often hear the sound of the, the, the monster. Yep. And so you have the boom, boom, just to add a little bit more of a yee. Oh, I got thump, thump, thump. Yeah. So, uh, so Tintin, who is never without money. <laughs> yes. I don't know where he's keeping it. And his yeah. sporan, perhaps. His sporan, yeah, and his sporan. Yeah. Uh, sporan. Has enough money in his sporan, sporan, to uh, buy a boat. <laughs> And off he goes. And this takes us to the image from the cover of the book as we yeah. uh, go to the Black Island. I just flipped to the cover just to... <laughs> so we get to the island and a beautiful castle's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, birds fly. It's gorgeous. Based it's on a- an actual uh, Scottish castle. Oh, nice. Okay. This island was, was a... Once again, a little bit of research was done. And, and rather than a generic castle kind of tower that was in the original one, uh, we get a way more realistic looking island and uh, this yeah, actual castle. It is, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is really, really beautiful. So um, yeah, even, uh, yeah, but sinister, according to Tintin. So mm-hmm. there they go. Uh, climb up some stairs, uh, see a beautiful view, hear a thump, where thump. Does he, where did you say uh, sinister? Uh, here we go. You were quite right. Oh, They're quite right is... in Kittich. It is a sinister place. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think we'll explore the castle first. Goes up top, and and I love this page turn. Uh, the thump thump. What is it? What is it? And if you're not expecting yeah. it, and I wasn't, you do not expect in this story what's going to attack you. Yeah. I'm thinking. What is this monster? What is this monster? I'm thinking it's going to be maybe a guy in a knight's outfit or something, some kind of business, something maybe it'll be something Loch Nessie. Yeah. You know what it's going to be? I do not expect a giant gorilla, but no. it is. Nobody expects a giant gorilla. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, and uh, so Tintin tries to fight the gorilla using the power of a stick. Uh, <laughs> does not work. Just comes to pieces. Uh, on uh, on uh, Snowy's advice, uh, hit him. 
So. Yeah, hit him. And so the chase is on. Uh, it's very nightmarish. Chased uh, down the stairs uh, by the gorilla. Uh, dead end. Dead yeah. end. Uh, throws a rock at the gorilla. No dice. I like that the gorilla is wearing the tam now. Not yeah, so. that's a pretty funny bit. Uh, then Donkey Kong style with Tintin as Mario. Yeah. Picks up a brick like it's a barrel. This looks like the end for Tintin. Nowhere to run. Yeah. Uh, Tintin ducks. It's a, good, it's a good cliffhanger. Yeah. Smashes. The brick goes through the door, providing a hole. Uh, and Tintin jumps out. So does Snowy. Saved, says Snowy. Incorrect, says the gorilla. Grabs Snowy by the neck. Brutal. Brutal scene. Uh, looks like uh, this, this is the end of Snowy, but he barks his whoa and uh, freaks out the gorilla and off the gorilla runs. Yeah, the gorilla runs away, which I like too. I like that it's he's just an animal. Yeah. He's not like a thinking... It's not like the, t- the Congo animals who are like telling us their thoughts all the yeah. time. And this this gorilla is just an animal. He's scared of a dog because a dog is weird to him. He's, he's never seen one. He's probably never seen one. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't know what this It makes is. a loud noise and it scares him, so he runs away. Absolutely. And uh, Speaking of running away, by the Tintin way, but runs the, away. Yeah, the shot of like him grabbing Snowy's neck is very you know, violent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Snowy joins up with Tintin, very happy to see him. Uh, and then, uh, but hearing the voices, uh, saying, see, seek him, Ranko, which is the name of the... Well, he uh, runs down to get his boat, and the boat is gone. The boat is gone. Someone's cut the rope. Right. Uh, now still running from the gorilla. Uh, Snowy finds a place to hide, a little tiny cave, runs inside. Looks like they're safe. Wrong! <laughs> uh, out, uh, the man comes with, uh, with Ranko. Uh, go on. Uh, now Ranko is outside of the cave. Well, Tintin's not gonna leave the cave then. Problem solved. Incorrect! There is something called the tide that is going to come in. And if you do not come out, you will drown. So that is a solid cliffhanger. I love that as an action scene. Yeah. That's great. It's filling up with water. What are you going to do? Go get killed by a gorilla? Yeah. Or drown? Yeah. That's a great cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Uh, The water's rising. Uh, Tintin sticks his head out and is now being shot at. (laughs) You know, the interesting thing is if you were fighting a gorilla. Yeah. Uh, gorillas cannot swim, so that is not a bad way to go. You could actually, if you swam out, the gorilla couldn't hurt you in the water. But the gun could. The gun could. <laughs> it's a problem. Right. By the way, everybody, that is a thing. Gorillas cannot swim. So, you know, they want to escape from a gorilla. Uh, they sink like a rock. Uh, luckily, once again, Snowy, who, again, I say, this is Snowy's book to shine. Yeah. Snowy saves his life repeatedly, and he gets spanked for his troubles. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a bit of a sot. Yeah, maybe he is saving him from himself. But he shows uh, Tintin a way up and out, uh, sees a glimmer of light, looks through, and sees the forgers uh, with their counterfeit machine. Yeah, the printing press. And uh, like they're just looking at the, the bills, studying them for mm. their, uh, yeah, how, how good they are. Yeah, it's a beauty, absolutely perfect. Just look at this thread. And then... Uh, Get the old hands up. <laughs> yeah. Haute les mains. And so uh, the, uh, the villains put down their gun. And then uh, Snowy sneaks over and grabs the, uh, it looks like a Luger, actually, and puts it down. Right. Uh, Tintin is holding his finger up, gun style, at him. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of funny. Which is odd, because they're not looking at him. So he but he's enjoying it. He's into character. He's in the character. Only he slips uh, and falls. Look where you're going, Tintin! And the uh, the villain turns and sees and goes running after Tintin. But Tintin does a great little trick. You see his foot's in the air in the, in the bottom panel yeah. here. And he scoops the gun with his foot towards this himself. This I buy. I didn't buy the rake, but I do buy this. This <laughs> is great. Swoops it to himself, grabs the gun, points it at these villains. Then he proceeds to have one tie up the other. Then he ties up the one. I like, by the way, before that, the uh, the one guy's uh, so upset by all this. He's he's imagining shaking yeah. his fist in anger. Yeah. Because he can't. Yeah. So you got to imagine it. Yeah. And then uh, 
then he remembers that his gun, the villain remembers the gun was empty. Ha ha! And there's t- nothing you can do then with a uh, with an unloaded gun. So they start yelling for help. And Tintin bashes them on the head <laughs> until they're unconscious. Yes. Because, you know, yeah, an unloaded gun does work. And then that. when uh, Mueller and another uh, bat villain enter the room. Is that Ivan without a hat? Oh, maybe it's Ivan. Yeah. He's not wearing a suit anymore. Yeah, well, it's he's casual dressed, Friday. He's dressed in his 50s rockabilly style <laughs> with his folded up cuffs on his jeans you and uh, wearing I, a leather jacket. I actually I think it's with pretty, his quiff. It's a pretty good look. Pretty. It's, it's okay. Uh, Tintin grabs the, an the leather roller. jacket is too long though. It should be a little shorter if you're gonna be be a rockabilly guy. Well, you write a letter to Hergé in the past. I will. I will I'll give you my time. I'm machine. gonna go with with. I'm gonna add that to Methuen's many complaints about the story. My 132 complaints. Uh, and so then uh, Tintin grabs the ink rollers. Actually, rather than use the gun, he's got the the uh, the rollers from the press. Yeah, the pen might not be mightier than the sword, but the ink roller certainly is yeah, and when s- it's applied to the noodle uh, <laughs> with great violence. And proceeds to knock out. Dr. Mueller, and then Ivan, when he comes running back in, and then ties them up, closes the door. Hopefully ties and of course, them better than he usually does. It's being Snowy. The door is closed on Snowy's tail. All for crying out loud, Snowy. <laughs> it's not enough that Snowy rescues him three times. He gets scolded. Half his chicken is stolen from him. And now his tail gets slammed in a door. Uh, Tintin hears some whistling. Uh, goes up and uh, and uh, sees the uh, the guy who's uh, handling Ranko. Yeah. Ranko is behind uh, bars in his cage. A good day's work, Ranko. Uh, that's disposed of Tintin once and for all. Unless you've seen the body, you have not disposed of Tintin once no, and for all. That's right. uh, Tintin pulls a gun on him. More incredible swears. <laughs> Crazy swears. And he thinks it's a ghost. Tintin's ghost. Or is he faking it? I think he's faking it. Uh, Spirit of the dead, have mercy on me. Or mercy uh, grabs uh, Tintin's leg with a bit of jujitsu, he says. I don't think that's jujitsu at all. Yeah. Grabbing a guy's ankle and pulling it forward. Is that jujitsu? That, that's jujitsu, my little friend, he says in French. And Tintin replies, and that's a straight left to the jaw. Kapow. <laughs> oh, but, uh, but Ranko uh, escapes from the cell. Uh, Tintin shoots a gun in the air, uh, trying to scare him. Dislodges a rock from the ceiling. And knocks himself unconscious. <laughs> oh, life. Dear me. Uh, Which, of course, I just, once again, I was going to say again, I just like the fact that he makes mistakes or that bad things happen to him. Yeah. It's not a perfect, you know, it's he has to kind of struggle a little bit to, to yeah. get to the end of these What's the things. difference between Tintin and James Bond? James Bond would never trip on a rock. Yeah. James Bond would never shoot a gun and have a rock fall on his head. And would Superman fall and uh, hurt himself? Would Superman fall and hurt himself? I don't no. think there would no, be, would. yeah. It's, Spider-Man would. Spider-Man might. Yes. That may be more of a Spider-Man thing that he would get knocked out or something. Yeah, yeah. he'd uh, yeah. he'd screw up. So uh, Tintin is now uh, this. Because uh, I'm just thinking, like, I'm, uh, uh, this is finished in June. Do we say June? I can't remember when I said this finished or they ended this one. So yeah, June. And so in August of the same year was the first Action Comics. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. After trying to sell uh, Superman as a comic strip and failing repeatedly. Yeah. So there. Uh, so uh, Tintin has become the Fey Ray to this King Kong. Yes. He's being carried away. Uh, but then Snowy. Uh, Once again. Oh, doing his whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, scares him off. Tintin. And uh, dominates. Uh, Snowy's in laughing at the, such a big creature. Yeah. Would be scared by a small creature uh, before ironically being scared by a tiny spider. Yeah. And that's such a great drawing of it is. Snowy reacting to it. It's a big drawing. You don't often see Snowy close up, so it's a uh, it's a real close up view of him. So you get lots of detail of his of his snout as he looks in terror. His ears straight up, about four million beads of sweat pouring out of him. He's so scared of the spider. Yep. And then he runs around the corner and hides. Yep. Tintin's uh, tying more people up, uh, saying, uh, "Oh, there you are, Lionheart." 
and uh, and Snowy. <laughs> Lionheart, very funny. So Snowy can understand an insult. Uh, uh, Tintin hears something coming from the other room, opens he, it up. He calls him Freddy Cat in uh, in the French version, and and there's he's like Freddy Cat, me. Yeah. Or hey, why don't you fight that gorilla again? How's that sound, Tintin? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you shoot a rock under your head again, Jim? Now, now we come to a scene that would have been remarkable in 1936 or 1937-38. Uh, a television. That someone's so rich, they will leave a television running while they leave the room. Well, it's so rich that they have a castle that has electricity. Oh, that's also that's, a good point. That's uh, interesting. And so they have the television playing. In the original version, he says, uh, a television? He's like surprised to see a television. In this version, he hears something, so he thinks someone's in the room, and he just says, oh, it's just a television. Someone of that, right, in the English version? Yeah. See, because by the time this was republished, the TV wasn't as remarkable. So, like in this version, in the original version, when he hears the sounds, you're like, well, what could it be? A radio? Or some, someone actually there? Runs in the room, and he's like, a television? Like, he's surprised to find one there. Right. But at this point, so common... It's as common as dirt. Hey, you know what's not common? Having those wheels on that uh, on the on the set, like underneath, where you can just roll it around anywhere you want in the room. <laughs> Good for them. So Tintin, yeah. while in the background, we're seeing uh, what's happening. What's to the weird top. though? It doesn't have rabbit ears on top. It has no antenna. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. Uh, mm, it's a good point. I was just thinking, like, it'd be hard for the maybe rabbit ears the, to work through the, the all that uh, maybe the brick. antennas outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Tintin is finding out the information about uh, where all the drop-offs are going on. Well, what's been, while in the background? Uh, yeah, the shtick is what going. I like about this though is that he sees. Uh, he's like watching the. He goes, "Oh, look on the television. It's a. It's a. What do they call it? Because I'm just seeing it in, in uh, the French version. What does he call it there? Like a on what panel? It's a. What is, what is he calling it there? In the he's going uh, some sort of uh, air display. Oh, okay, air display. Yeah, they call it here a meeting d'aviation. So some sort of some sort of I don't know. What. That sounds better. No, I guess so. It sounds better in French. So then he goes over and starts exploring the desk, but then his attention is drawn back to the television because they're so excited by this plane doing all this interesting stuff that I think the fact that he just stops, you know, then he stops, you know, he's, he's like, you know, he's like, I've discovered everything I've been looking for. I've fall, I've gone through all across England. You know the length of England to get to this, or Britain to get to this point, and now I'm and I've discovered all this. What, what's going on on the TV? It's just like we're at a party when someone turns the magic eye on, the hypnotic yeah. eye of a television on, and everyone stops talking to each other and starts staring at the television. At least he doesn't sit down to watch. And it. then he stands with the gun. He's standing there, but he's got the gun held behind his back, which is a brilliant drawing, actually, of someone how someone might stand. And of course, he's watching, not knowing he's watching the Thompsons, uh, doing some incredible displays, including one of them falling out, and then the pilot. You know, unintentionally doing a loop de loop, and then you know, then Thompson falling back in again, and some incredible stuff finally lands with a crash. The By the way, destroyed. I like I like when he's falling out that he holds onto his hat. Yes, a gentleman. Don't lose your hat. That's a sign of it's expensive. And then uh, and then they they win first prize. Yeah, for their aerial display. So yeah. impressive. A lot of pain, and the pilot has been uh, thrown uh, forwards. Uh, hopefully, you know, yeah. we hope that all of his body parts are still there. He he apparently was thrown through the propeller. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully everything's fine. So uh, Tintin says, uh, enough wasting time on this. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, Tintin. Walks walks into it, finds a radio room, and then he signals to the police that... Uh, does the police have Scottish accents when he calls them? Nope. So I guess it's just the old man has such a strong accent that you have to write that. But yep. otherwise, they, they're, uh, they're not unaccented. Because I'm pretty sure that they're... Both maybe they're just British to not. I'd forgotten about this case. part too. Okay, so he tells he tells the authorities uh, what's going on at yeah. the Black Island off, uh, you know, uh, Kidok. You forgot about Kildock? what part? 
What's that? You forgot about what part? Okay, well. No, what I forgot about is what comes up later in that page. Okay. Which uh, they've all freed themselves because, again, Tintin can't tie a knot. Well, it's not it's not exciting if, if you can't get away. You know what? Uh, escape me once, shame on you. Escape me twice, shame on me. Yeah. Tintin ain't even trying at this point. Tie a knot, Tintin. I understand when it's electrical wires. I get that. It's tough to tie an electrical wire. I got you. This is just straight rope. You had all the time in the world. They were unconscious. You even got a gorilla cage there. Yeah. It's free. Put them in that. Ugh. So Tintin. Th- this, is, this is on you that you now have <laughs> five guys with guns coming the, at you. The best part of this, though, to me is the, the weird stance that the guy in the green suit has taken. <laughs> it is pretty, uh, yeah. Pretty. Oh, speaking of green, I, I just oh, I forgot to mention that because we, we were in that town where the... Uh, and everyone in the town is wearing green in the Scot- little Scottish town. And he the gets whole there. thing is they don't like green. They don't like green. Yeah, that's what wanted him to pay attention to that, but they just put them in green anyway. Yeah. Probably just a little spiteful thing. Good. Good for them. I'm glad. In your uh, eye, Methuen. I want some fallow fields forever. <laughs> so uh, Tintin's being chased uh, by all these people shooting uh, guns. He's shooting back at them Wins. while in his guilt. Good excitement. Yeah. Uh, running up those stairs, which we're so familiar with, taking refuge in the tower. He's cornered. Yeah. Uh, police are on the way. Here come the Thompsons, having shaken off the uh, horrible crash they were in yeah. earlier. This is pretty fast. Maybe they went to the same hospital Tintin goes to, and it's like, <laughs> ah, we're out of here. We're yeah, not staying. Right. No. Go on. And, the, and the, the hospital's so sad. No one ever stays an extra day. Yeah. Is it our? Is it us? Uh, Tintin, out of ammunition, top of the tower. Bad guys coming up the tower. Uh, Tintin grabs a, 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 a large brick, throws it down the stairs, which uh, knocks almost knocks them all down. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, uh, sort of a great gag because then we have. Uh, then they decide, well, let's just get the gorilla. So they send the gorilla up there, and of course Tintin scares the gorilla. Right, but before we do that, oh, we've got a nice pacing thing where Tintin's fighting this, and we cut yeah. back to the Thompsons on the boat. Yeah, going uh, there's Black Island, only a few minutes, and we'll be ashore. Yeah, and we're like, oh, Tintin's still in trouble. Yeah, but it's good pacing. Yeah, that's all right, true. you're right. Send the gorilla up. Yeah, and uh, then the gorilla comes flying down. The gorilla beans. comes flying down, and. Uh, Oh, yeah, because they're holding the, uh, one of them's holding a, I was wondering why there's a, an ink roller, but that's because one of them was carrying it. And so then, uh, then we have some more business because, of course, the Thompsons are involved. So they, it's a good jump, though, to the, the rock. You know, it's, that is realistically how someone jumping badly mm-hmm. to a rock would go. Yeah. He falls in the water, gets his hat, gets his hat. <laughs> Other guy falls in the water, gets his hat. <laughs> <laughs> and then with dignity, up they climb onto the rocks. Yes. They never without dignity. Yes, always dignity. All right. And uh, then Tintin trips again because he never looks where he's going, falls down the stairs, and, and crashes into the Thompsons. Yes. And then, of course, one of the corrections that was made was that the policemen should, be, should not be wearing helmets. And so they're not because they're Scottish. All right. And then uh, a nice little bit of continuity in the next sequence, uh, we see another Percival Prentice uh, in the uh, in the lair, in the counterfeiter's lair. So they had two of them. Okay. They didn't, didn't have the red one. They had a green one as well. They must have got a two-for-one deal when they were shopping for airplanes for counterfeiting. Right. But I like the idea that it's a full-on operation, that it's not just one plane, it's a couple planes that they can be going from place to place with, taking the loot. And then uh, Tintin explains to the uh, Thompsons, how it worked and what an irritating door i guess in those days there was no such thing as an automated door so you had to have a handle to wind it open Ugh. yeah and and explains you know where the airstrip is for this island it's like well uh the beach at low tide works as an airstrip and then in, you know, when it's high tide it goes away yeah uh the uh thompsons get scared by what they think is a ghost mm-hmm. not a ghost it's a sad gorilla who's broken his arm oh but luckily there was a, a very large uh sp- 
What would you they call must have that? Had a, they must have had a lot of first aid like bandages available for yeah. to wrap his arm. You're feeling for that gorilla, poor thing. Yeah. Uh, they're going to take him to the zoo. He's going to have a nice life. Everything's going to be fine. Gorilla's fine. Gorilla probably killed a lot of people, by the way. We have, we have mentioned earlier, by the way, in this story, that people have gone to this island. They do not come back. Mm-hmm. That gorilla has killed a lot of people. Yes. Okay, but anyway, he's going to be fine. It's not his fault. <laughs> A uh, bit of bit of wrap up here where uh, well you can't you can't hold an animal responsible for what people do with it not right? in Tintin world well you not can. in any world I mean would you would you would you think they should put the gorilla down that is what you would do yes if a gorilla had murdered no. if a gorilla had murdered a dozen people put him in the zoo nope you do not go oh what's the deal with this gorilla oh that's the murder gorilla he murdered a dozen people oh that's nice. Hey, son, take a picture with the murder gorilla. No, that's not going to happen. Gorilla gets put to sleep is what happens. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, uh, back at the village, explaining uh, everything's going on. And, uh, and there's an interesting little cameo here. Uh, even though this book was the seventh book and the Castafiore Emerald was one of the last books. Yeah. Maybe third to last book. And uh, we have a little cameo here from uh, Christopher Willoughby, Willoughby, Willoughby Droop. Mm-hmm. And Marco Rosato, who are part of the journalists for the Paris Flash, who who appear in uh, the Castafiore Emerald, they make a little cameo oh, nice here in this, okay. in this sequence. So Tintin is it's a little call forward call to a forward. book that hasn't been made yet. Yeah, that does happen in Tintin. Yes. Okay, so we're going. Uh, Tintin's uh, going up to meet all the people. Uh, a lot of reporters all there, these journalists there, uh, yeah. And uh, then they all run because there's a gorilla behind them. That's a good bit of business. Uh, now we cut to the uh, Daily Reporter reporting on the story, and this is where we find out uh, that Tintin is still a reporter. Uh, yeah. Uh, a C dash uh, by police ended in five arrests. Seen with hero reporter Tintin and oh. lion-hearted dog Snowy. Not said ironically. <laughs> Proudly said. Flip that insult around for uh, good old uh, Snowy. Uh, so Tintin, we end with uh, a very uh, happy Tintin. He's uh, getting on the plane. Uh, Thompsons are not uh, going by air anymore. Yeah, they've, they've had enough. Uh, yep. Off goes Tintin. Uh, they are not going to be hurt by a plane again. Off they go, and their his, hats. So in go ahead. his uh, Hawker Sidley Trident. Very nice. <laughs> That's the name of the plane. In the original version, it's a propeller plane. Uh, in this version, a jet, because and, we are now in modern times and, where gorillas <laughs> can still hide in islands. Yep. Uh, this seems odd. It's a little kind of the the putting the story forward the way they have makes some of the incidents a little unbelievable. But yeah. it's still, it it's probably my favorite. I mean, you know. Oh, by the way, the the Thompsons get their hats blown off. That's the last game. Yeah, that's the last game. And closing the book. Okay. Classic fan. The end at the end there. But uh, I wonder why nothing in the in the except the signature of Hergé, which you do not have in yours. Interesting. Yeah. Uh yeah, interesting. Interesting because, well, I was going to say this is probably probably my favorite Tintin book. I mean, I love them all very dearly, but if I have to choose a favorite child, which is hard to do, this is uh, probably my favorite, and probably my favorite cover as well. It's my favorite so far, so I'm looking well, forward to reading. Yes, you know, you, it's hard uh, for you to judge them all, of course. No, I've, read, I've now uh, read seven. And, so, uh, yeah. and this is going to be a, bit, a little bit of a hiccup, the same way that Cigars of the Pharaoh was a bit of a hiccup, because we're going to read this one that was drawn in 1960, the 1960s, yeah. and now in the next one we're going to go back to the 1930s. What's the, ne- what's the next one called? K- uh, the Scepter, or the King Autocar Scepter. Okay. So if you're following along, uh, try to either purchase that book or get it from your library or... You know, ask a friend who's a Tintin fan and uh, yeah. borrow it to follow us uh, next week. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, a couple of things we mentioned throughout 
this thing, you know, name the dog. Let us know what that dog was. Yeah. We want to know that. And uh, where you can do that is uh, at sneakydragon.com. That's our website. It's the website for our other podcast, Sneaky Dragon. And uh, if you want to listen to more of us, by the way, that's another podcast that we we do every week, but that's a more personal podcast. But you can go to uh, sneakydragon.com and leave us a message on our message boards. That's also where you can find show notes uh, for some of these episodes. Dave puts up extra information. It's kind of interesting, so go check that out. We'd also like you to like us on Facebook if uh, you're so inclined to like things on Facebook. And who isn't? Uh, so totally Tintin on Facebook. Uh, and uh, tell your friends about the show if uh, you, they like this kind of thing. Because, you know, we're trying to get people to hear it. We, you know, we don't mind talking to ourselves. We'd be doing this anyway. Yeah. But it's nicer when there's someone listening because that makes it less weird. Makes it way more fun. Okay. Uh, we enjoy, we've had a few comments on the, the website and really appreciate those. Uh, Colin Upton has written quite a bit. Yeah. He's obviously enjoying the show or at least uh, infuriated by it enough to... Uh, <laughs> To write to us. We'll take either. And that's fine too, because, you know, there's times where we don't know what we're talking about. And I really appreciate, uh, his knowledge of, of, uh, aircraft and military to, to make some corrections for us too. And that's, that's great. So we will take, we will happily take your corrections. If you feel like just straight out emailing us, that's, uh, we're at, uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week. Or if uh, you're listening to this in a row, uh, we'll be back whenever you listen to the next one. There's really no, you know, uh, time difference that we can force upon you. Uh, this is all in your hands. That's true. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Ian Boothby. And I've been David Dedrick. Uh, this has been Totally Tintin. Thank you for your kind attention. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>